0: xbox on welcome to xbox on a podcast with one host about one console xbox i'm said host jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode we'll be talking about the latest xbox news for the week of july 28 2022 including we have a new report on gta 6 that reveals substantial details about the intensely anticipated game more great financial news comes for xbox and microsoft holy hell ubisoft is losing it and more On this day in Xbox history, Life is Strange Episode 4, Dark Room, was released as a download-only title for the Xbox One in the United States and for the Xbox 360 worldwide in 2015. I don't, uh, I mean, I distinctly remember this episode coming out because this is one of the, this is like where the big plot twist in Life is Strange 1 happens. And why was it not on Xbox One in other countries? I, I don't that part's new to me, but that was a damn good game. I, I actually greatly, fond, or I should say, I really f- fondly uh, associate Life is Strange 1 with the fall of 2015. Fall 2015 was a good time. I don't know why. It was like, you know, we got Halo 5, Xbox One was like really starting to heat up, even though, you know, the, 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 the mainstream perception of Xbox One was it sucked. Those of us who actually played Xbox One knew that it was starting to get some really good shit. You know, Halo 5, we got Life is Strange was really good. That same fall, we got... Disney Infinity 3.0, of course. Rest in peace, you beautiful prince. We got that really shitty Battle Battlefront uh, game from EA that everyone had to pretend they liked because it was really pretty. And then later on, we all came to terms that it wasn't really a fun game. I don't know. I, just, I really like the fall of 2015. Also, in the realm of Microsoft, fall of 2015, the last and still probably best Microsoft product release or, or product announcement event they ever did. It was like their iPhone event that was... The, the closest thing they ever did to, like, a big world-capturing iPhone event where they did Surface Pro 4, which is one of the best Surface Pros. They revealed the Surface Book, which still to this day was one of the most mind-blowing cool products ever. They revealed uh, the the last-ever Microsoft-made Windows phone, which was the Nokia Lumia, and they no longer called it Nokia at that time because they had acquired Nokia, so they called it the, the Microsoft Lumia 950 and 950XL. And, of course, the Microsoft Band 2. Released. I had pretty much all of those products. I, I didn't have a Surface Pro 4. I had a Surface Pro 6 years later, but the fucking Microsoft Band 2 was awesome. Lumia 950XL was awesome. Fucking Surface Book was the cool shit. Halo 5 came out that year. That was a good year. For Microsoft fanboys, I, I would pull my shirt over my head, put my arms out like one of those soccer players and just run around in the middle of my fucking college campus like, Goal! And everyone would be like, I don't know what the fuck this guy's doing, but maybe just maybe there's like one guy, maybe an exchange student somewhere on my campus who would look at me and be like, that guy's excited about Surface Book probably. I don't know. Anyway, we'll, we'll keep it focused on the, the more video game side of, of Microsoft, but damn, dude, I don't, I, how are we already far enough from 2015 for me to be nostalgic for it? That is crazy. All right, guys. Let's start out this... uh, uh, Hi, it's an Xbox podcast. We're talking about Xbox here. Let's start out this week, as we do every week, going into corrections, stories of mild amusement, updates, things like that. Generally, we got, like, an update here or there, and a lot of stories of mild amusement, and we don't have a correction. This week, fuck you, we got a correction. It's not really a big one. I just, uh, I don't don't know. Acting Basher writes in and says, Jesse, you are stupid. No, he says... Not even done with the episode, and I'm probably going to reply again, but I need to stop where you were talking about the horse in the game, Nobody Saves the World. You need to transform into the horse and then talk to the horse again. Yes, that probably is complete gibberish to 99% of people listening, but if you played Nobody Saves the World, yes, I made a mistake. I was trying to give an example of the funny dialogue in the game, and I know that's the example that popped into my my head, but... Yeah, you're you're right. Yes, whatever. I don't even even feel like this is important enough for me to elaborate on it, but if you play Nobody Saves the World, yes. I I gave a poor example last week because I was doing something wrong in the game and giving you an example of the game being charming and having good writing when in reality it was just the game basically telling me I'm stupid for playing it wrong. But I just want to throw that in there because, yes, I make mistakes and I like corrections. Thank you, Acting Basher. I honestly I, I honestly thought about it while I was saying it. I was like, yeah, this is not a good example. But I was like, you know, no one's going to correct me. And then here you are, acting basher. Where were you when I needed someone to write in and tell me that it's okay my hairline is thinning out, huh? No? You don't have my back then, acting basher. They call you that because you act as a guy who just comes to people's lives and bashes on all their hopes and dreams and tells them, when you're 35, you'll probably be bald. Maybe, I don't know. Good thing for you guys this is an audio-only podcast, so if I do go bald... You don't got to see that shit. All right. Thank you, Acting Basher. Now let's move on. We have no Activision news this week, so thank God for that. We do have a couple stories of mild amusement that I want to get into. In fact, I, right before I recorded, I realized I had my notes all out of whack. There were some stories where I'm like, mm, this is a main story. This is not a story of mild amusement. And there were some stories where I was like, this is not a main story. This is a story of mild amusement. So the news order has been shifted around out of insecurity that you guys might think I have a stunning Uh, uh, deficit when it comes to being able to interpret what news is very important and what news is just mildly important. But guys, I don't want that. I don't don't want that to be the way I get branded and known in this world as the guy who can't decipher news and its level of importance. I want to be known as the guy who talks about Xbox for an hour and a half every week into a microphone in his boxers and cannot empirically prove that there are real-life human beings on the other side listening. Because as far as I know, you're all just a bunch of usernames and IP addresses that I can't trace. Okay, VGC writes in with our very first – VGC didn't write in. VGC's never listened to this show. But VGC wrote an article, and then I, I took that article from their website, and now we're going to talk about it. An official art book for the upcoming anticipated Harry Potter title, Hogwarts Legacy, has received a release date, which could potentially mark the game's release date, too, because generally things like strategy guides or art books and things like that generally coincide at least with the release week or so of when a game comes out. The book is titled The Art and Making of Hogwarts Legacy, Exploring the Unwritten Wizarding World, Originally... Okay, that's the title of of the book. Uh, The the book originally had an apparent placeholder date of December 31st. For those unfamiliar, placeholder dates are usually the 31st of any month or something like fiscal year end quarters, like March 31st, uh, what is it, July 31st, um, September, October 31st, 31st, I think, September, and then December 31st. So that's usually like when when you go to like GameStop.com, you're like, what date does Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 remake come out? and it's like, oh, December 31st, you know, 2069 or something like that, you'll be like, oh, okay, well, that's a placeholder day. That means they don't have a date for it yet. Anyway, customers who pre-ordered the book from Amazon UK, however, have been receiving emails stating that the book will likely release on December 6th. It will ship or come to them, will be delivered when the book launches on December 6th. So if that book has any indication on the actual release date of the book and the actual game and et cetera, et cetera, deductive reasoning, Hogwarts Legacy might be coming out December 6th. Here's the thing. If Hogwarts Legacy is coming out in 2022, I think December 6th is a very likely date because this is one of those games that's had so little of it shown and so little uh, media uh, media press tour pushing whatever marketing that it would stand a reason that it's going to be a late in the year kind of title however i still stand with my original point that this game is not coming out in 2022 this game will get delayed to the spring or maybe even summer of next year so that's that's still where i firmly stand on it but i'm going to go ahead and just and put this out there because the news boys are saying it and so i people are going to want to know the updates there are times where the art books come out, you know, six months before a game or whatever. So, I can't think of a specific example, but I feel like that's true. So, fuck you. Hogwarts Legacy is not coming out in 2022, but according to this, it might. All right. Next up, it hasn't been officially delayed yet. Next up, VGC wants to let us know. Well, we don't really got to read this, but Multiverse, speaking of WB games, um, their new... Free to play multi multiplayer fighting brawling Super Smash Bros. S game multiverse is now in open beta. Uh, players can play it if you are in the Americas, Europe, Australia, New Zealand. Um, it's the open beta is available to download on Xbox Series X and S and Xbox One, as well as PC. And the beta features crossplay support. I feel like I need to just put this out there because as much as I have not been pay, not been paying attention to this game, and as much as I don't care. I cannot help but notice that it seems like a lot of people are very excited for this game, and so you know, let's 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 raise some awareness. Maybe some of you out there listening are like, "Oh shit, I wanted to give that game a go." So you know, here we are raising some awareness. People seem very hyped about this game, very excited. It seems like it's everything that Nickelodeon Super Smash Bros. game could have, should have been, and more, with all the uh, characters and IP they're able to pull in for this game. I I don't know. I don't. Have any interest in watching Batman uh, fight Scooby Doo? But, but I do I do see why this is you know especially for people really familiar and, and, and attached to the, a lot of the IP. I see why this is a fun game and why it's an exciting little uh, buddy weekend hangout romp type game. So, just want to make people aware of that. The game's getting lots of traction. The Open Bay is doing quite well on Steam. And then finally, I want to get into. Well, maybe not finally. We'll talk about one other thing. But this is the this is the real meaty one I want to talk about because of all the stories of mild amusement, I think this is the most mildly amusing of them all. It's like a backhanded compliment. So VGC relays that Mojang have confirmed to its players that they have no plans to support NFTs in Minecraft. And this is, for whatever reason, stirring a, a lot of discussion and somewhat consternation in some corners but obviously from a lot of fans perspective and a lot of players this is seen as a large fat juicy W. The Microsoft owned studio outlined its stances on NFT and blockchain technologies in an article they published on Wednesday. While it's in the process of updating My- Minecraft, sorry, Minecraft's usage guidelines, it said it wanted to provide some information subject to recent community feedback saying, quote "In our Minecraft usage guidelines, we outline how Um, server owners can charge for access and that all players should have access to the same functionality. We have these rules to ensure Minecraft remains a community where everyone has access to the same content. NFTs, however, can create models of scarcity and exclusion that conflict with our guidelines in the spirit of Minecraft. To ensure that Minecraft players have a safe and inclusive experience, Blockchain technologies are not permitted to be integrated inside our client and server applications, nor may Minecraft and game content such as world skins, persona items, or other mods be utilized by blockchain technologies to create a scarce digital asset. And, quote, collecting, uh, sorry, creating collectible NFTs that players could use or buy uh, to earn or earn, sorry, would run counter to Minecraft's, quote, values of creative inclusion and playing togetherness, or whatever, and create a scenario of the haves and have-nots, said Mo Yang. They finally added, The speculative pricing and and investment mentality around NFTs takes the focus away from playing the game and encourages profiteering, which we think is inconsistent with the long-term joy and success of our players. Let me read that one more time because I like the way it sounds. The speculative pricing and investment mentality around NFTs takes the focus away from playing the game and encourages profiteering, which we think is inconsistent with the long-term joy and success of our players. God damn it, what if, and this is a hypothetical, wouldn't it be cool if Mojang... Were owned by the same parent company as the guys who own the people who make Halo. Can you imagine that kind of mentality surrounding something like Halo, where it's like, hey, th- think about—we're not talking about NFTs now. We're just talking about battle passes and cosmetic items and weekly challenges and no forge mode. And it says, sorry, I'm not gonna get that. No, all, all joking aside, this was this was cool. I appreciate. Obviously, there's probably a lot of there's probably a lot of questioning among the Minecraft community. I wouldn't know. I don't follow that shit. But there's, there could be some reasonable concern about NFTs as we see them rising and rising and showing up more in gaming. Minecraft is a platform that has evolved so much over the years where it's not just about putting $20 down and playing the game, but it has the Minecraft marketplace has been around, man, I think for like five years or so at this point. And I mean, it's a little bit like Roblox, right? Developers can can become. Uh, Minecraft developers and create their own worlds and their own content and sell you games and sell you worlds and sell you servers and Minecraft always makes these little packs with cosmetic items and little extra worlds you can explore basically it's glorified you know it's DLC it's DLC in the oldest most traditional sense but in this kind of like democratized marketplace where people can make their own shit and sell it and people can discover and you know share and, and, and promote good content right so a little bit in a little bit of a way it's like it's like um it's like uh what's that game called like roblox in that way right and this is obviously kind of minecraft's response to roblox was trying to get into this market but ultimately it's pretty straightforward you know as a little as a little timmy 12 year old with mommy's credit card that when you get on minecraft and you go to the marketplace and you spend 10 us dollars and you get 10 hundred or or ten thousand. Minecraft coins. You know exactly what you can buy. You can buy the little Minecraft Halloween pack, which comes with a skin that makes your guy look like a, a zombie or a ghost or a piggy or whatever the fuck kids dress up as for Halloween these days. You can spend $10 on this one developer's little uh, map. I, I, I buy a lot of Halloween shit in Minecraft. I don't know why. I bought this one map for 10 bucks one year where it's like this guy created like a, a, a haunted amusement park with all these different haunted attractions and rides and it's fucking awesome and there's a haunted house and there's a hay and there's a maze, and it's really fucking good, and it was $10 really well spent. But you know what you're getting yourself into. It's like the old model of DLC. You go, wow, this game was fun. I wish there were more new content to make the game last longer and have more to do. And someone goes, hey, I developed new content for the game to make it more fun. You're like, cool, I'm going to buy that content and play it. Minecraft's model has not, however, been, here's a battle pass, here are daily challenges, here are achievements, unlock this thing, do that. And it's not been the NFT shit, which is all about like, Oh, I got this cool thing that no one else can get, or I was pressured into buying this thing because they are only a limited amount of things. Whatever. Minecraft has continuously kept a very faithful, traditional monetization model. And to see them say like, hey, we're putting our foot down and we just want to announce to you guys, don't worry about us. We're staying consistent with that value, that set of values is kind of refreshing uh, to see because you could easily see how Minecraft would go the route of nfts now you could also argue if you want to be a little more cynical as i generally am well of course they have to do this with minecraft minecraft is so geared towards kids plus there's minecraft education the way it's often seen as kind of a positive game by a lot of adults so you really don't want to mess with the image by muddying it with like gambling and kids buying things and being pressured to buy shit and you know loot boxes and nfts and false scarcities and digital assets it's like not not a good look maybe for minecraft so you can obviously see why maybe Microsoft and yang would be proud and quick to be like hey not us that's not us but man it just it, it's just nice to see one of the biggest names in in live service games and in continuous games as a platform that can just come out here and be like hey we see this trend that's really growing in the games industry this would be a really great opportunity for us to make some easy money we're not doing that sure be you know sure sure helps keep the integrity of the game intact and I just love that that last little statement, where they're just like, "Hey, uh, this mentality around NFT and N- NFT, NFTs takes the focus away from playing the game and encourages profiteering, which we think is inconsistent." Blah 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 blah. I wish more games just had that. More developers, more publishers, in particular had that mentality of like, "Hey, it takes away focus from playing the game." God know. Uh, uh, i wish i just uh i don't know i don't even know what i'm heated about it's just like ooh, remember when games were about playing them i know these aren't nfts but it just reminds me of how frustrated i am with multiplayer games that are all like don't don't play the game you want to play it just focus on your daily and weekly challenges and you realize games aren't fun anymore because you're always chasing something instead of just having fun anyway just want to give a shout out to mo yang take note other developers and other publishers three four three I'm looking at you, even though you guys don't do NFTs. Your marketplace sucks. Your fucking add-ons suck. Your cosmetics suck. Your battle passes suck. Your daily challenges suck. But God damn it, your game is fun. And Windows Central wraps us up with uh, a little... This isn't like news news. This is like, a, oh, this is a cool thing. Jez Corden wrote this article about a unofficial fan convention that took place in the UK over this past weekend called SOT Fest. See if these fest it is an unofficial fan-created event uh, you know, what am I trying to say? A convention for Sea of Thieves fans, which I think is so fucking cool. People came from all over Europe and I'm sure all over the world to gather together and be like, "Yeah, we like pirate games, and this is a game we play." And it got me thinking. I just, I guess, the only reason I want to share this is it got me thinking: How awesome would it be if Microsoft like really took this kind of stuff seriously and in-house and did something like this? We had Halo Outpost Discovery in 2019 which I was fortunate enough to actually get to go to the very first location they ever did that in because it started here in Orlando, Florida, literally like a month after I moved here. And uh, I got to go to that, and it it was such an awesome time. I remember those were the early days of Xbox On, actually. I podcasted in the opening episodes of this very show about just what a great experience and event that was and how cool it is to have these places where specifically Xbox fans or fans of Xbox-related content can come together and celebrate something. And PlayStation used to have, about six or seven years ago when PlayStation was still about fun and not just about being like, hey, we make money and fuck you, you'll buy our thing anyway. PlayStation used to have a really cool event called PSX, which was a fan event. I, I don't remember where it took place. And I think it was in Nevada. I don't remember, but um, it was you know a fan convention for PlayStation, and they had some really good panels and some official announcements and things like that released there. But Xbox has had so, you know they had the Xo Fan Fest, whatever the fuck they call it, and eh, it was never really like that. But dude, I I want to see something like this back. And now that we're past the darker days of the of the you know what, which I can't say because this Spotify will will put a notice on this podcast if I say the name. But now that we are out of the the um black plague of 2019 and 2020 or whatever i i would love to see xbox invest in this shit and i think now is a smart time to do it while the iron's hot i know this isn't technically news but this is evoked me to want to just talk about you know hypothesize and and uh, fantasize about how cool this could be and what it could be if they did it an xbox fan event because i think it'd be awesome if we, if there could be like a, a weekend-long event in New York or wherever the fuck, whatever generic place you want to do it, Los Angeles, where fans from all over the world can get together and enjoy Xbox-related stuff. We know Microsoft loves doing every fucking big gaming convention and, and media thing. They always love to do uh, a media briefing at E3 and at Summer Games Fest and at Game Awards and at, uh, at Gamescom and all these events. You know, they could do their own briefing at this, at this Xbox convention, and they could have... It could be a Sea of Thieves convention, and a Halo convention, and a Gears of War convention, and a Forza Carhead convention, and everything all in one big, long weekend event, which I think would just be so freaking cool. I feel like, especially right now, while Xbox is kind of hot because Game Pass, and because this the, they came out the gate kind of swinging with the Series X and S, and it's just, there's just been a lot of positive movement and momentum for the Xbox brand, I feel like now would be a really good time to capitalize on that and be like, hey you know our competitors sony they aren't doing a fan event like this anymore and you know now that the uh, the plague of 2020 is over and or you know more or less you're kind of going back to normalcy at least and, and and you know it's just there's a lot of positive attention towards our gaming brand like we should do something we should capitalize on this moment you know i i mean i would love to see halo outpost discovery come back again um i, I think even before the the black plague they 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 noted that they weren't going to do it again in 2020 uh, for whatever reason. So I, I think I don't think that is the the plague's fault that we we didn't get that back but i don't know man it's especially now that halo infinite is out and people kind of like halo again even though everyone hates halo anyway like it would be really cool to have an event like that in a world where everyone isn't just moping and bitching about halo 5 but rather a world where everyone's bitching and moping about halo infinite and i don't i don't know i just this got me thinking it's it's really cool to see fans come together and put this kind of thing on but it also is frustrating because it's a reminder that, like, hey, there are lots of people who want this kind of shit. Xbox, Microsoft, why why aren't you guys doing something about this? I don't know. I, I know I, for one, would love to go to a weekend long. I, and I'm not a convention person. I, I thought I was. I used to go to this anime video game convention every summer in Atlanta, every year. And... I realized I didn't like it, but I always did it anyway. And then I thought, well, maybe if I like the subject matter more, I'd like it. And I went out to LA one year and I did, or Anaheim, and I did the big Disney, official Disney convention that one year. And I thought, you know, I thought, well, surely I'll love this one because I love Disney theme parks and all this stuff. I didn't like that event either, but I did really love Halo Outpost Discovery. And I feel like if, if there were an event that were, like, geared towards Xbox games or, like, the Xbox brand in general, I feel like that could be such a fun and exciting event to attend, and man, how much does it suck that there's just, you know, I, I get it, the internet is where communities are formed, but there's still definitely a need and a desire for that in-person kind of camaraderie and celebration and coming-togetherness, and uh, I don't know, what do you guys think, wouldn't it be so cool to have an Xbox fan event, I don't know, I guess it's not really news, but I just wanted to, this story sparked that thought for me, so I wanted to bring it up, anyway, Let's get off the stories of mild amusement because we had some actually interesting, chunky news. But we're not going to just jump right into that because you know how it goes. We we go fast, then we go slow, then we go fast, then we go slow. I'm, I like many types of video games. Sometimes I'm Sonic the Hedgehog and I'm speeding up, and sometimes I'm like Sekiro and I'm just rolling around on the ground getting hit by swords because it's Dark Souls. But today, we're not going to jump right into the news. What I'm going to do is tell you about the games I've been playing this week so we can talk about our experiences as elite gamers. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing, first got to tell you about what I've been eating. And guys, I don't have anything super exciting that I've been eating this week. I've been pretty normal, just like, you know, making dinner after work, you know, trying to stay home on the weekend, focus more on my backlog while the gaming season is slow and while I'm just trying to save some money and be wise financially before the impending recession destroys us all guys I, I gotta i gotta give a shout out to something because i i know this, this sounds so stupid but let me just say this bread and butter and then shut up a second and let me elaborate so every every weekday i bring a sandwich to work um you know whatever fucking turkey and cheese something basic something simple sustenance try to keep it locale, get you through the day but, generally I'm a, I'm a hoagie guy, I'll get like a sub roll or something like that, or hero, whatever the fuck you call it, depending on where you live in the world. But this past week, I was like, you know what, if groceries are expensive, let me try to stretch my dollar a little more. So I'm in the bakery aisle of my local grocery store, and I see some sourdough. I'm like, you know what, you get like five times as many slices of sourdough bread if you buy a loaf of that, versus buying like a pack of hoagie rolls. So let, let's buy sourdough this week, I love sourdough, it's all good. So I get this loaf, I bring it home, you know, make a sandwich, bring it to work the next day, all is good. But then I come home from work and I'm like, hey, there's that sourdough again. You know, when you go to restaurants sometimes, they'll they'll give you like a little bit of like sa- baked sourdough and, and some butter or olive oil as like a little like whatever, a little bread service before your meal, before your appetizer. It's a thing. I feel like restaurants used to do that a lot like 20 years ago. And these days it's like a lot of restaurants don't do it. Now restaurants will be like, we'll give you like fucking like soybeans or like, You can buy a $20 cocktail while you wait for your $40 appetizer. I don't know. That's how restaurants are these days. But when I was a kid, it was bread and butter. And so I just had this weird inclination. I'm like, I got butter in the fridge. I got some sourdough here. So I toasted a little bit of it up, melted some butter on it. And I was like, why is the combination of sourdough bread and butter so amazing? Like in that instance, I'm like, You know, I love sandwiches. Who doesn't love a good sandwich? Like, you put some cheese, some mayonnaise, some lettuce, tomato, a couple different meats on there, slap it all together, maybe toast the bread. It's fucking amazing. But sometimes equally as amazing is just bread and butter. And it, it makes you feel like some fucking like medieval Europe peon. Just being like, oh, some some bread and butter. You know, you, you milk your cow and you you kill your wheat crops and you do some spell and runescape, mix it all together and you get your bread and butter. But it's so goddamn effective. If you got a perfect sourdough, get a nice little crisp on your bread and you melt some butter, kind of like chunky. You don't spread out just too right. Make it the butter a little chunky on there. And damn, it's creamy, it's savory it's carby it's indulgent you get that yeasty kind of sweetness sometimes from the bread also you know you need some sourdoughs you get that balance of flavors the sour sweet flavor i i don't know man i'm just uh this week i'm indulging in the basics you know we can talk all about the fancy dishes all we want every week but this week i want to give a shout out to something so simple so fundamental but so beautiful that's the bread and butter all right, now, before we get into what I've actually been playing, I, I, before, right before I was podcasting, I saw something on Twitter that I was like, okay, I'm going to hijack this, and we're going to gotta bring this up to the show. So we're going to talk about what I've been playing, I swear to God. But first, I got to say this. Jay, listener of the show, didn't write in, tweeted this on his own volition on Twitter, and then I, hij- I, I just stole it. But a picture of this milk. Jay, listener from Australia. Picture of this milk. It is called, the brand is called Masters. It's like one of those individual-sized personal milk cartons, and the brand is called Masters, and it is spearmint, spearmint-flavored milk. So let's not even focus on that for a second. I, ha- I had to reply to this because I haven't seen something like this in so long. So I just had, or sorry, that's not true. I haven't seen something like this before, so I, I was kind of like bl- just taken back by what I was looking at, and I had to, I had to keep reading the carton re- over and over and over again. Surely this is not. A carton of milk that is spearmint-flavored. So I study the photo, and yeah, it says on the bottom, Reduced fat milk, spearmint. And it's like proudly displaying that it is minty-flavored milk. So I I write, I I respond to Jay's tweet, and I say, Hello, Jay, is this mint-flavored milk? And he says, Deliciously, yes. Even smiling emoji, even has the audacity, smile. But no, he, he says... It's my favorite flavored milk, and I reckon you must have something similar to it in the U.S. somewhere. I'd send you some, but something tells me it wouldn't taste good by the time it got there from Australia. Of course, yes. I'm sure while we can maybe get into the debate of spearmint milk, we can all agree that spoiled milk is a universally hated flavor. Please, for the love of God, tell me there's not someone out there in this audience who's like, Oh, I actually like spoiled milk. It's not bad. I like when it curls and it's room temperature. It's just right, man. But anyway... I'm, I, it sounds like I'm just here to, to be a dick and to rag and to judge, but actually I'm not. Cause I, if given the chance, I would try a Spearman milk. The problem is milk has such a, I don't know how to put it. It has an aftertaste. The milk has a lingering aftertaste. This is why I don't like milk. I love milk for cooking. I love milk, you know, for, for cereal for the two times a year, I get a hankering for cereal, but I do not enjoy milk on its own. I don't enjoy just being like, ah, a refreshing glass of milk. You know, unless it's like with a brownie or I'm using it for cooking, I stay away from milk. But OMG, the thought of flavored milk, particularly mint flavored, it's just really rubbing me away. I will not even say the wrong way. I'll just say a way. But then I got to thinking, I was like, you know what? I actually know that I one time had a Korean flavored milk that was like banana flavored milk, you know, banana flavored milk, tree, nice little thing to have a little refreshing drink for kids or something like that and I'm like well you know obviously at least in the states very common for someone to drink chocolate milk or strawberry milk these are very common flavors and so as someone who's very accustomed to the idea of like a strawberry milk or chocolate milk I don't think twice about how that that isn't you know that's weird or not weird that's just normal right but you know I then I think about like the Korean banana milk I tried that one time I'm like well You can see why that makes sense, right? Because, like, banana bread would go so well with milk, and, like, you know, banana's a fruit. Strawberry milk's already an established thing, and strawberry's a fruit. So there's kind of some, you know, there's some track there where it's like, okay, that's a thing. You know, I can do that. But spearmint milk is like, milk gives you bad breath. And spearmint is meant to give you fresh, clean breath. So why would you mix these? What happens when you put spearmint and milk together? Do you get neutral breath? How does that work? I have so many questions. It's not even that I'm like disgusted by the thought of the flavor. It's that I just don't understand how they work. It's like telling me like, oh, here's some ginger milk. You know, you take some milk, you put some ginger in it, and there you go. It's good for your body. It's just, it's not even that I think the idea is disgusting. It's that I, I question the validity of the combination of flavors. Does that make sense to you, Jay? Does that make sense to you, audience? And so I guess why I'm really wanting to bring this up is now I have to ask you. We know the Koreans are doing a a banana milk. We know the Americans are doing a chocolate and a strawberry milk. We know the Australians are doing a spearmint milk. Please, we have listeners. We have tens of listeners from all over the world. I know this. We got some of you in Mexico. We got some of you in Germany. We got some of you guys in fucking Saudi Arabia. I see the, the numbers. I see the listenership. We got some Ukrainian listeners. Guys, please, write into Xbox On, for the love of Christ, and tell me, in your part of the world, do you have an obscure milk flavor? Right now, as as an uncultured, ignorant American who has never tried spearmint milk, I gotta say, this is taking the cake. This is, so far, the leader of the pack. But, there's gotta be some, like, tobacco milk somewhere. Like, hey, Canada, where are you at? Someone's got tobacco-flavored milk, or... I, I don't know like it's got to be like like poutine milk or something like that. I feel like it's got to be a thing I don't know like like I, Mexico I know you guys are on like taking things that are traditionally not spicy making it spicy You probably got some of that what's that tahin tahin shit. you putting that in your milk. Let me know about it Show me the flavors Japan where you at get some fucking uh anime titty milk. Come on. Where's it at? Okay, so that's that's gonna do it for what I've been eating and uh me not asking people permission before taking their tweets and talking about them on the show. Thank you, Jay. Hope, hope, hope you don't mind. And uh, let's, let's talk about video games again. So that's it for what I've been eating and what I've been judging and questioning about and thinking about in the realm of other people's eating. And there's me minding my own business now by getting away from the subject matter. Let's talk about what I've been playing. And guys, last week, you might recall, I gushed and gushed like a little boy on his period about Nobody Saves the World and what a great game it is and how much I love the game. And all I got to say is... I wrapped it up last week. I was in the final two hours of it basically after we recorded last week. And my opinions of this game have not changed an, an inch. I ended up beating the game in about 25 hours. Most people estimate it takes around 15. I don't know if I just suck that much or if I just love the game so much that I indulged for a very long time. But 25 hours, and in my opinion, it was 25 blissful hours. This game so far is easily my favorite game of 2022. I know that doesn't mean much because we've got Sonic on the horizon here, but easily my favorite game of 2022 so far. This game is absolute joy. It is it is so much fun to play. It is so charming. It's so charismatic and cute and fun and just addicting as all hell. I love the ending of the game. It has a very like cinematic feel despite you know remaining a top-down overhead dungeon-crawling game. They, they managed to make the in-game kind of experience feel somewhat cinematic which is really fun. It doesn't make that obnoxious mistake a lot of more gameplay-focused games make of being like, oh, it's the end of the game. We should make the final boss very hard. I prefer when they're like, let's make the last boss look and feel epic and like a culmination of what you've been working towards rather than just like, let's make it hard for the sake of hard. Nope. It's very fun, very fair, and uh, it stayed... The game remains inventive and surprising until the very end. There's just always... A moment in that game where it's just like oh that's a cool idea oh that's fun oh they're doing that now and th- i i don't know i just i gushed about it too much last week so i don't want to like get specific and linger on it tonight or, or today we're here right now whatever this week but man oh man nobody saves the world listen guys it launches a day one gaming game pass it's still there wonderful developer drinkbox studios if you have not played nobody saves the world i cannot recommend this game enough if you even remotely like the idea of taking a little bit of zelda a little bit of Mario 64 and a lot of bit of Diablo and mixing it all in with some really fun, unique, brand new concepts and ideas. Oh boy. If that even remotely sounds exciting to you, you owe it to yourself to play this game. I'm going to tell you something really divisive. You want to hear a hot take? No. Okay. Well, here, here it is. Anyway, I bet you $24 that nobody saves the world when all is said and done is a better, more fun, more creative, more uh, not, well, not full, but uh more creatively um creatively expressed and inspired game than diablo 4 will be diablo 4 will be a very very good very competent dungeon crawler that will be made by a massive team of people with a massive budget and a big old focus tested concept of what the game should be and where the modern gamer is and what a game needs to be in order to be successful in 2023 or whatever the game comes out But, dude, Nobody Saves the World is going to be a superior game. I'm telling you right now. You want to play a good dungeon crawl? You're a fan of Diablo? Diablo Immortal got you down? Don't worry. Nobody Saves the World's got you back. All right, that's it. I'll back off. All right, now, there are two other games I've been playing this week, and, you know, it's exciting. I've been a lot of Game Pass lately, a lot of new hot games, a lot of current shit to talk about guys last week as dusk falls launched into game pass and i played it i played on saturday my girlfriend and i sat down together and we played the entire six seven hour game in a matter of two three sittings the whole day and uh we enjoyed this game quite a bit so for those who need a refresher as dusk falls this game was announced a couple years back and then kind of went silent and at the bethesda xbox showcase this year this past, this summer a few a few a month ago or so uh, it reappeared and they announced a release date for it. Game Pass Day One game. It's being it was published by Xbox Game Studios and uh, it was developed by a new developer Interior Night, uh, which is basically a developer comprised of X... Um, God. What what's that team that that team name that makes um, that makes Detroit become human in Heavy Rain? Quantic Dream. Quantic Dream. So it's a bunch of guys from Quantic Dream and you know some guys probably from some other notable teams that I'm, I'm blanking on right now as I record is is always the case you forget all the things you want to say when you're actually recording but anyway came together and formed a new studio and it is very much in the vein of like a Quantic Dream type game or if you're more familiar with like Life is Strange something from like Don't Nod, or maybe Telltale if you ever play like Telltale's Walking Dead or Batman or any of that or um you know like one of those games right and uh this game is I don't even know where to begin with it this game is really really fun and I'm very glad I played it. it. It has a lot of unique features, like, namely, I think it's art style is the most unique thing. It has this kind of like, I don't even know what you call, it. what's what's the proper term for it? It's like, not cel-shaded, but um, yeah. speaking of just things I'm forgetting. But it's shot in like this weird art style where it almost looks like someone filmed a live action video and then sketched over it. So it looks kind of like a sketched version of a real thing. But it's done in like a comic strip kind of still style way. So the animation isn't fluid and moving. It's just like image stills and facial expressions. So it's kind of weird from if you just watch the trailer or just see someone playing the game. But it's one of those things where as you play the game, that starts to blur. You know, the fact that it's limited animation and it's drawn the way it is it starts to kind of blur. And it does that thing where it's kind of like reading a book where you, really, you know, you, at some point you get invested and you go from I'm staring at a white page with black text reading to like, I'm I am, I'm am somehow, my, my, my eyes are reading the words while my eyes and brain are reading the words while in my mind, you know, I'm envisioning the scene and the characters and what's happening in the story. It's kind of like that, where you play the game and you just kind of forget that it's not a fully acted or motion capped experience and everything just kind of becomes more fluid. And I, I like that. I appreciate that aspect of this game a lot. I think its art style is going to be one of the more divisive and off-putting elements of it. I think it's going to draw a lot of players away from this game. And I, I do want to say I, I hope that isn't the case for you. If you're interested in these kinds of games, generally speaking, do not let that art style be the thing to stop you from giving it a go because it's quite a good game despite all those things. Now, with that out of the way, let's talk about the actual game itself. Like, let's get into the meat and potatoes of it. So, oh, I will say also... The other like claim to fame the thing that makes this game unique is you can tell it was designed with like touch enabled and so like you're using your your analog stick on your Xbox controller to like move around the screen and select like which dialogue choice you want or what action you want almost like a, in destiny when you're navigating the menus and you use your your analog stick to move around the menus like a mouse cursor um, the reason that is is because this game was very much designed with touch in mind so if you play this game via cloud on game on Xcloud, um like on your phone or tablet you can actually tap on the screen with the dialogue choices you do to use virtual buttons and also there's an app for this game you can download so you can play with friends so you start your file and then you can have friends join in a game session or like a, if you're streaming the game you can have people join in and that way they can kind of vote and contribute to the like oh they should say this or you should do this action over this action make this choice so i think those are all really cool ideas we didn't do that or care about any of that my girlfriend and i we, we like to play these kinds of games together and um we prefer to just be like, one person holds the controller, and then a, a decision comes up, and we're like, "Ah, eh, what do you want to do? And then we just kind of decide among ourselves. So I didn't get to use any of these new cool features, but I do appreciate they're there. We played in a more traditional sense of, I just held the controller, and we were like, oh, pick that choice. And we, so far. So that that's all the, the premise of the game, but let, let me talk about the actual game itself. So... I was really invested in this game from start to finish, which I think is the most important thing you can you can say. Considering it is a game you're getting included in your Game Pass subscription, it's not like I went out and spent 30, 40 bucks on this game or anything. I had nothing invested but but my time. And the thing is the game starts out quite strong. It starts with this and I won't do any major spoilers or anything, but it starts with like this family that's moving from California to Missouri. And they're on the, you know, the, it's the the mom and dad are traveling with their young daughter and the and the father's uh, father, so like the little girl's grandfather, and he convinces them like, hey, we should take the long way, cut through Route 66 to get to Missouri, whatever. And so they're road tripping, and as you play the game, you learn a little bit about like, you know, the the marriage strife between the husband and wife, and the little girl and her relationship, her loving relationship with her father, and and like the grandfather and how he got kind, of, how he used to not be a part of his son's life and I was kind of back in and all the family strife that that's causing and all this and it's like okay it's interesting it's cool and they and you know they have a car issues so they just pull over this motel and then the premise is you know they get caught up in this this robbery this heist and they get kind of taken as hostage and the whole story is like oh shit you know this family was just passing by this town on route 66 and now they're they're hostage hostages in this in this um in this situation and all this. like it's crazy it's intense it's it's suspenseful it's cool it's fun the problem is the first half of the game takes place from the moment the family starts the road trip to all the events of the heist and of the robbery and the hostage situation. And you get insanely invested in this family and their story and the husband and wife's marriage and the relationship with the father and the little girl and her safety and all this stuff. But the game also introduces you to the robbers and their side of the story and who they are and their background. And so it seems like for literally half the game, for it's six chapters long, and for the first three chapters, you're being given this like story of like here's some background on the on the family, here's some background on the robbers and their backstory, and you go back and forth and back and forth and does flashbacks and flashbacks, and then it, it transitions back into modern day and the story progresses, progresses, and and you just it's really captivating, it's really fun. Some of the writing is it's it reminds me of life is strange, and that some of the writing is like super cringe and not fun. But for the most part, you get very invested and you, and you care about the characters and you want to find out what happens next. The problem is, after Act 3, when you get into Part 2 of the game, Chapters 4 through 6, it just abandons the family that you spent, like, most the fucking game with, or half the game with, and that you were super invested, and it just goes off and tells, like, this whole, like, 20 years later story. And in that, in that frustration that you initially get leads all the way into the very end of the game, where you get your, you know, multiple endings, depending on the decisions you made. And obviously I won't spoil any of these things, but, um, you know, we got one of the worst endings you could get, even though I really thought we were doing well. And then we went back on YouTube and watched some of the alternate endings to understand like, Oh, this was what could have happened if we did this or that, whatever, dude, even if you get a good ending, yes, you can get endings way better than the one we got. But from what, from what I saw and from what I understand, there is no ending you can get in this game where you're going to walk away and say, that was satisfying. Every ending in this game is frustrating and disappointing to say the very least. And so it sucks because, again, you're going to, like, if you're anything like me, you're going to play this game and you're going to be gripped from start to finish. You will be frustrated at certain points. You will eye roll at certain points. But for the most part, I was insanely into this game. I, I do not regret at all that we played this. It was a really fun Saturday, staying at home, just curl up on the couch playing this the whole day practically. But, oh, my God, I cannot get over the fact that I'm so frustrated with how bad the the direction the story takes gets at, towards the second half and then how entirely unsatisfying all the endings are. But, you know, to speak to the game on a more mechanic base basis and to, and to sing its praises, because I think this is what the game does best. It's decision-making and its choices are really good. Um, I, I When it comes to this genre, my my strongest experience is definitely with like Life is Strange. I love the Life is Strange series. I played all of those games with the exception of True Colors, which I'm looking forward to finally getting around to soon. Um, but you know, I played a little bit of Telltale. I played Telltale's... Actually, I don't know how the fuck this happened. I played Telltale's Game of Thrones, and I don't even like Game of Thrones, so I don't know how that happened. I played Telltale's Guardians of the Galaxy game. I've always meant to go back and play The Walking Dead, but never did. But I don't have too much experience with these games otherwise. I've always wanted to play Quantic Dreams, uh, Heavy Rain, or or these kinds of games, but just never got around to it. But I can tell you with the experience I do have within this genre, which is a a fair amount, I gotta tell you, this game does an extremely good job of making you constantly stressed about every decision you make because your decisions definitely have serious consequence and it's not it's not things like oh you picked um you picked option a instead of option b so at the end of the game uh you you know your your character's best friend is gonna have uh, a parakeet as their as their pet instead of instead of a puppy dog it's like oh damn you shouldn't have shouldn't have picked choice a in back in chapter two it's not like really stupid minuscule shit it's like impactful shit it's like whether or not your character fucking Goes to college and, and and retains all their teeth. It's like that kind of shit is is all a matter of like what decisions you're making throughout the game. So the 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 weight and the gravity of your of your choice making is is really exciting in this game because you know it matters. And I, generally, I dog on games that are all choice driven because nine out of ten times the choice doesn't fucking matter. But this is a game where there's a huge butterfly effect. And in between every chapter, it shows you. It does the whole, like, these are the decisions you made. This is how other people made decisions. This is how, you know, popular decisions you are you made versus everyone else's. Here's the timeline of where... Your, your decision-making, how it got you to this point in time because you didn't do this, so this is the other track you could have taken. And it does all the, like the butterfly effect kind of stuff laid out, plain as day, just to be like, look at how many things could happen, all the r- potential ripple effects based on your decision-making. It's very, very cool, so... I, I don't know. If you find yourself into these kinds of games, if you, if you if these are games that generally do grab your attention. I think a hundred percent, you know, as a game pass subscriber as Dusk falls is a really good Saturday, Sunday kind of relaxing game to play. It, it's very fun. You'll find yourself quickly invested in it. It's no longer than like a, a, one of those short Disney plus series. So maybe instead of watching the 500th Boba Fett TV show, you can do this for a weekend and, and, and you have a great time. So I, I, I as much as I am frustrated, I think this game is definitely has some serious flaws, and ultimately, I kind of agree with its average. Its Metacritic score is averaging like the mid 70s. I, I think that's a very fair kind of review average for a game like this, for, or for this game rather. Um, that doesn't that doesn't by any chance mean that I don't think it's a good game. And I don't think it's worth playing. I think it's a really good time, and uh, I don't know. I'm gl- glad I did it for sure. But that's as dusk falls. Yeah, su- super enjoyed that. And then the last game I've been playing, and I don't really have much to say on this, is the, uh, the new Hot Wheels DLC that came to Forza Horizon 5. Of course, I had to download that. I wasn't able to play it for half the weekend because it kept crashing every time I tried to launch it. And then I had to uninstall everything and reinstall it, and then it finally worked. But I, I haven't played too much of this, maybe only an hour or so. And, you know, it's... It's it's Hot Wheels. It's it's more Hot Wheels in Forza. If you played Hot Wheels in Forza Horizon three, then you'll love this. You know, if that if that was a thing you enjoyed, then you'll enjoy this as well. It is that times times two. You know, it's a bigger play box. Um, the cool thing is it, it divides the map so that there are different seasons. So you can do like Hot Wheels racing in the snow or in the fall or in the summer. And that and that's cool. You get all the different environments and climates and and weather types which is a lot of fun, but um, I have almost nothing to say to this. I wish it had more hot, like ridiculous Hot Wheels cars in it um, instead of just a couple, but for the most part, it, it is more Hot Wheels in the fabulous, beautiful, fun-to-play Forza Horizon sandbox, and I will definitely get back to more and more of this, but I just don't have too much to say because an hour with this left me with the impression that this is literally just more of the Forza Horizon 3 expansion, but just now playable in Forza Horizon 5, which to me is a great thing, because now that Forza Horizon 3 is an older Forza, it's delisted, it's an Xbox One game, all that junk, it's nice to be able to have Hot Wheels content in the most up-to-date, modern Forza game. So, I'm a fan, I'm happy with it, $17 well spent, but for sure the big game i played this week was as Dusk as dusk falls and i highly recommend that game so guys with that said that's it for what i've been playing this week now almost an hour in let's uh take a break and jump into the news won't you uh join me in talking about all the grand theft auto and ubisoft shit going down all righty then so guys it's news time we gotta talk about grand theft auto at the top of the show because people love grand theft auto and there's news about it so VGC reports, and this is via Bloomberg article, of course, because Jason Schreiber does reporting and I don't have access to Bloomberg and all that shit because of the internet. Grand Theft Auto 6 will take place in an area based on Miami and may feature a female playable character is being claimed. Now, real quick stop. The, the rumor has been Miami for very, very long time. Potentially a return to Vice City from GTA Vice City, which would be so nice to see. God, I hope this takes place in the 80s. Anyway, continuing on. Bloomberg reports that the game, which it claims to be uh, to have began development sometime in 2014, that that's like a year after GTA 4, uh, 5, by the way, that development began sometime in 2014 and is at least two years away, so maybe a 2025 release date for GTA 6. Quote, Early designs called for the inclusion of territories modeled after large swaths of North and South America, the publication states, the company reeled in those ambitions and cut the main map down to a fictional version of Miami in surrounding areas. That is a massive cut down anyway. Continuing on, Rockstar's next game, Grand Theft Auto 6, will include a playable female protagonist for the first time, Bloomberg adds, citing sources familiar with the game. Quote, the woman, who is Latina, will be uh, one of the pair of leading characters in the story influenced by the bank robbers, Bonnie and Clyde, the people said. Developers are also being cautious not to, quote, punch down by making jokes about marginalized groups. That being um, the people said, in contrast to previous games. And then blah, blah, blah. The, the article goes and talk about how they got rid of certain people who work at Rockstar, crunch culture, blah, blah, blah. I just feel like we have the crunch culture talk way too much. So we will just keep the discussion geared towards Grand Theft Auto specifically, because... Let's talk about Grand Theft Auto. Alright, so I, I feel like this is going to be pretty exciting news for most people, right? I I, I know from, per, from a personal perspective, as someone who ends up basically playing almost every Grand Theft Auto, but doesn't really give a shit about Grand Theft Auto for the most part, this is, this is exciting to me. I mean, this is the most... I mean, I, I like Grand Theft Auto because I like to play the campaign and do the story and then f- peace out, you know, but... I understand most people like to uh, goof around or play the online mode and stuff like that. But as someone who enjoys the story content, who enjoys the campaign and all that, this is exciting because this is the first bit of Grand Theft Auto campaign related news we've had in like 14,000 years. So I'm excited. Now, I know the main conversation here is going to be on the, you know, the the, having a female protagonist and all that. (laughs) Dude, here's, here's the thing. I don't know what to say. It's cool. I don't give a shit like to me it doesn't matter if, if this if this means a lot to people that the the protagonist is going to be female that's awesome good for you to me i'm just excited to see you know if this is going to be a, a game i really enjoy i thought grand theft auto 5 had a really enjoyable cast of characters i think miami is a perfect setting and it was really great in gta vice city that was my favorite grand theft auto game and i i hope we get something like that again mm, I, don't, I don't know but we'll have to wait and see the the only thing that that concerns me and this is the thing is like, I'm trying to be I'm trying to like walk on eggshells with this I'm I'm not trying to have like a social conversation about you know like anything because all, all all that kind of talk makes me just want to throw up and die because I'm just so fucking tired of it all I'm so t- I'm so tired of a world that is obsessed with social politics instead of like actual things like the fact that no one can afford to live or pay their bills or go to the hospital if they're dying anyway but. I feel like the, the the thing I worry about is that Grand Theft Auto historically has been a satirical series about poking fun at American culture. It the 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 charm and the unique fun of Grand Theft Auto has always been it's a really fun open world sandbox where you can fuck around and do crazy shit like Climb to the top of a building and parachute down or grab a rocket launcher and shoot people in a hospital or whatever the fuck you want because it's video games and you will have fun. And if you are eight years old, you are going to tell all your friends about how cool this game is. That's the first aspect of Grand Theft Auto. The second aspect and the aspect maybe you start to appreciate more as you get older. I know for myself, this was certainly the case and especially the case with Grand Theft Auto Five, because I think the game does such a good job at it. Is the whole purpose of Grand Theft Auto is from a narrative perspective, you take a mirror, you go over to a map of the United States of America, and you hold the mirror up and you say, look how fucking ridiculous you all look. And that's, that's to me, that's really admirable. From the so- perspective of someone who loves comedy and loves clever writing and loves unique storytelling and satire, I, I love this shit. I eat it up all day. And so... I really love. It's it's hard for me to think from a story perspective about previous Grand Theft Auto games. Grand Theft Auto games other than five, because that's the only one I have like recent memory with and like an experience playing as an adult. And I can say I loved Grand Theft Auto Five. It's it's commentary on like the superficial absurdity kind of life of like the wealthy white los angeles american family where everything is just absolutely asinine the family breakdown is just completely incomprehensible no one gives a shit about anyone it's absolutely insane everyone is egotistical and out for themselves and it's just entirely obscene and that whole story with michael and his family i love that it's fucking awesome it's hilarious and it's entertaining as all hell and then you got like um, Trevor, who's like this crazy redneck dude, and he's just an insane motherfucker. He, he's the wild card. And then you get Franklin, who's kind of the, the the more rational of the three, but him and his scenario are also kind of absolutely ridiculous and fucked and over the top. And the thing I love about it is Grand Theft Auto historically has never, has never pulled its punches when just trying to be ridiculous and trying to throw just obscenities and criticism and, and just... Like social commentary and attacks on everyone from all walks of life, the the question and the concern and the problem I have. Not, it's actually I don't even want to call it a problem because we don't know we, we we first of all none of this is confirmed although I bet it's real because Jason Schreier and Bloomberg do pretty great reporting it's this is probably accurate and but I don't want to call it a problem or say it's a gripe until we've really played the game and seen the story in action and and, and decided with our own from our own experience whether or not this is something worth caring about but I do I do get rubbed slightly the wrong way just by the notion of hearing Rockstar say how. They're being cautious not to punch down by making jokes about marginalized groups or people because it makes me feel like this is the not necessarily like, hey, we just want to be sensitive to people who have historically been the power or or in a in at the at the the bum deal of a power dynamic. Like I I get that. I can respect that. You just want to be respectful and not be an ass or whatever. Good intentions. I'll always respect good intentions. The concern is that Grand Theft Auto 6 is going to be developed with the mindset of. We are extremely concerned about the kinds of attacks we will get online if we do with Grand Theft Auto what we have always done with Grand Theft Auto. In the second it, you start talking about, well, our protagonist is female and our protagonist is Latina, all of a sudden it's like people are like, mm, be careful what you do next. And it's like, dude... I, you gotta understand what Grand Theft Auto is, first of all. First of all, I, like the game is meant to make fun of everyone and be satirical. Second of all, you look at the, the lineage of Grand Theft Auto characters, yes, it hasn't ever been diverse enough to include females, but we've had New York Italian mobster dudes, we've had, like, douchey Miami vice bros, we've had Black L.A. guys in GTA uh, San Andreas. We've had we've had like Russian um, American whatever in New York dude in GTA 4, and then in GTA 5 you had a castic you had an ensemble. That represented like the rich asshole Hollywood types and, and everything else. So, like, you had a little bit of everything. I don't know why, from a narrative perspective, really Michael's the only one from GTA 5 that I, his like story arc really sticks out and, and st- it stayed with me over the past I don't know how long has it been since GTA 5? 35 years. But the point I'm trying to make is just I I worry that they might try and dilute some of what makes Grand Theft Auto funny and special. Because they're afraid of the own topic they picked. And here's the thing. If I'm being completely honest, like, listen, if I were tasked with writing the next Grand Theft Dotto and they're like, oh, Jesse, by the way, your protagonist is uh, a, um, a Latino woman living in Miami. Have fun with that. I listen. I'd be I'd be careful. With it. Like I would be afraid to write that. Hey, call me when you want to write another Grand Theft Auto about a white guy, because it. I get it. It's it's Grand Theft Auto is a prime target. This is a game that absolutely everyone plays. Absolutely everyone loves. It has a massive influence in gaming culture and the gaming zeitgeist. But also, it just so happens to deal with, from a narrative perspective, generally a a a a line of storytelling, a line of satire. That could, in today's social climate, get you into big trouble. And so, it's like, okay, that paired with the fact that they're gonna try to go more diverse intentionally with the with the characters and the setting, it's like, okay, just be careful with that. So I I, I guess it's not that it's a gripe or complaints that it's a it is something I'm aware of that it's like Rockstar might feel like they are now tasked with both this whole we need to represent this this narrative and this um this culture well. And also in maintain the integrity of what Grand Theft Auto is all about. And I don't know, I don't know how how they're going to both continue to be Grand Theft Auto while also not upset anyone on either side, whether it's Grand Theft Auto fans who are like, ah, oh, it's Grand Theft Auto. We expect it to be ridiculous and over the top and a little satirical and maybe a little stereotypical, right? But also not piss off people who are like, hey, you be careful. You're talking about a woman now, you gotta be careful with what you say and what you do. So I don't envy this situation um, Rockstar are now in. And if anything, I, I slightly scratch my head at it. It's like, why, why didn't you just play it safe, dude? All you got to do is be like a fucking Irish-American in, in Philadelphia. And then, boom, free reign. You can say whatever you want. And everyone will be like, ha, 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 that's so funny. Everything's on the table. We're good. We can't get in trouble for this. But um, I think the other big part of this from a narrative issue, the other big issue, the, the problem they're running into is the founding members, the writer of Grand Theft Auto is gone. So Dan and Sam Hauser, for those who just need like a quick refresher on Rockstar, are these two uh, British game developers, these two brothers that created Rockstar, created the Grand Theft Auto series. And... They have, they both left, haven't they? Sam and Dan have both left, right? No, so oh, wow, so Sam's still there. Never mind. So okay, so Dan, Dan. Okay, sorry, I just had to refresh myself because I always get them confused. So Dan, who's the writer of these games, left. He left like right after. I think right after G, uh, Red Dead Redemption Two was finished, he left Rockstar, or he he left and came back. There's some I forget what it was, but he's no longer even there, and he's the guy who wrote the Grand Theft Auto games uh, narratively. So on top of the whole like, okay, we want to tell a story and be Grand Theft Auto and keep our integrity, but also we want to be sensitive and not punch down. It's like okay, well that's a challenge. Plus you don't have the guy who's like kind of the father, the shepherd behind this series from a narrative perspective. Ah. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm just, there's like a cautious optimism above GTA 6 for me currently because I'm like, that's a, that's a challenging feat to overcome. You don't have your historically genius writer who has helmed these games for since the beginning of the franchise. And what you do have working for you is you got a really cool setting and, you know, whatever. I, 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 we don't know anything about the characters, but the idea of like two, two lead characters who have kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde kind of dynamic I think that's fun I think that's cool you can do something really cool with that I'm all for it so I don't know. I feel like there's some good foundation and then there's some big missing pieces of the puzzle and Grand Theft Auto 6 I guess is now officially one of those games it's like high on my list of like I, I'm very curious more so than actually getting my hands on the game and playing it I'm more curious now for what this game is going to look like as we get to see trailers and screenshots and the, the marketing machine kind of ramp up and um, and and happen. However, as as many of you might be familiar with, Rockstar famously don't really do a whole lot of marketing for their games. Generally, they they usually do like one or two trailers. I think what what was it? I think San Andreas. I think is the one I'm I'm remembering, or maybe it was Grand Theft Auto Five actually. Where like they released like three screenshots and then one trailer, and that's like all we got before the game came out. And you know we all know how it went with Grand Theft Auto V, but it's kind of like their their style, their signature thing is to just talk about the games as little as possible, show as little as possible, just basically announce it, make it, release it, be done with it, which is cool and respectable. But this this is a game I'm I'm very curious to follow along and see how the development goes. But I don't know, man. I. I guess just getting some concrete information on GTA Six is more leaves me a little bit more on the excited side, but I am uh, I'm I'm curious. Like, you think about to me the the greatest highlight in the Grand Theft Auto franchise will always be um, the the talk radio station uh, Chatterbox um, that was always hosted by Laszlo, who was actually a developer at Rockstar. I found out um, who also left Rockstar a few years ago. He doesn't work there anymore, and his talk show is the funniest thing in the world. I just remember especially as a child, playing hours and hours and hours of Grand Theft Auto 3 on PS2 and Grand Theft Auto 3 Liberty City Stories on PSP and just laughing my ass off at just the absurd ads they would do and the crazy you know the crazy call-in shows which is like crazy rednecks calling in about their cheating whore ex-wives and all that shit it's just like always ridiculous scenarios and ridiculous commentary and that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about where it's like yeah it's i'm sure it's offensive to someone i'm sure it's maybe in poor taste to someone but like this shit is funny and i i hope we don't run into a situation where they're like oh well we choose we chose to tell a story about A Latina female and we just don't feel comfortable, you know, really delving into her culture or anything. That's, dude, I don't even give a shit if you just like kind of don't even pay attention to that and you just make fun of everything around you. Like, dude, you're picking Florida. You got to make fun of the culture of Florida. I don't give a shit if it's culturally insensitive. As someone who lives in Florida, and I know I live in Orlando, which is basically a different state compared to Miami. I don't care. As someone who lives in Florida, I'm telling you, if you put a modern Grand Theft Auto game set in Florida and you don't use that as an opportunity to punch down on everyone who lives in this state, and I mean everyone, because everyone who lives in this godforsaken state is an insane person, then you're, I, I don't know, I see it as a missed opportunity. Everyone here needs to be greatly teased if you're doing a Grand Theft Auto game. But that that's my thing, is I just, I, I just want to see that Grand Theft Auto remains focused on the social commentary focused on the making fun of and you know I'm I'm not a very creatively I'm not a very creative person so there are tons of creative ways you can probably try to avoid punching quote unquote punching down and being insensitive to other cultures while also still maintaining the satirical and uh, mirror facing humor that that Grant that games have been known for so I'm sure someone out there is skilled and, and talented enough to do it, but again, without Dan Hauser at, at the studio now, it's like, ooh, you, you don't have the guy, like, the, the fucking key person, so, I mean, obviously, it takes way more than one person to make a Grand Theft Auto game, but, you know, if you could only lose one person, that's certainly someone you don't want to lose, I guess, is, is is the way to put it, but I don't know, I, I, I guess I don't have too much more to say, Grand Theft Auto 6 is definitely a game that has shot up a little bit more on my list of, like, games I'm pretty interested to keep an eye on and to follow along. If you happen to fall in the camp of like, oh, hell yeah, we're going, you know, you're not playing as a white guy this time in Grand Theft Auto. Or, oh, you get to play as a woman. It's like, I don't know. Good for you. I guess but to me, I'm just like, <laughs> again, it's like, I, I understand how it can be important or cool for someone to see themselves there themselves, which sounds shallow to say, see themselves represented in media. Although you're not really seeing yourself. You're just seeing someone who looks like you, but I, I know that that can be important to someone to see. But at the end of the day, it's like it all means nothing if it's not like compelling characters, compelling writing. And I just want to make sure that you know it's like, wouldn't it? Mm, I guess I guess no. Okay, let me let me just stop walking on eggshells. Let me put it this way: it's like the the thing I always say, where like there are good modern movies that are like, hey, let's let's try to like be a little more inclusive about like LGBT characters or black characters and try to like not have it just be a movie about a bunch of white people. Cool. Everyone would be like, cool, that's fine, that's fair, right? to be more reflective of the many types of people who exist in our world rather than just one group. Awesome. But then there are a lot of movies that are really not tasteful and not completely lack the subtlety of being like, oh, look, we have... We have a gay character in our movie and they got to just be over the top about like, hey, I heard your your wife is gay and that is awesome. You gay person, you are awesome. And it's like, okay, well, now the movie feels lame because it's pandering to gay people and it's heavy handed to everyone else who doesn't give a shit. And we see that sometimes happen in movies. I guess what I'm trying to say is it would sure seem forced and heavy-handed and like you're being talked down to a little bit if you played a Grand Theft Auto game where they try to make fun of the same types of people they've always historically made fun of, rich elites, um, like the California culture people, hippies, yuppies, upper-class white people, whatever you want to say, but then you have a lot of representation of females and latino women and latin people and then you just completely gloss over and try not to make fun of anyone or anything pertaining to hispanics or anything because you don't want to punch down and you don't want to offend anyone i'm saying it's very hard to do that and for it to not come off as like you know it's like "Mm, that that sounds like pandering that sounds you know the thing i always say is it's like when you watch a movie or you play a game where it's where it comes off as forced or pandering and not natural, it's always just like, hmm, like, I, I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a straight white man, so I guess I can't speak to this. But I would assume, if I were, you know, a gay person and I played this game where they're just constantly blabbering about like, oh, I'm so gay, even though it has nothing to do with the plot, but I just got to constantly tell you about how I'm gay and here's my 47 uh, pride flags I wear all over my fucking outfit because I need you to know I'm gay. I would feel like if I were if I were a gay person that. They're not trying to represent me, they're just trying to sell something to me. And that is my concern. I don't want to see Grand Theft Auto, which is a masterclass in satire, turn into pandering. Because then I feel like it's offensive to everyone, without a doubt. Because there's no artistic intent, there's just an intent to sell. And that... That's kind of life imitating art, if you think about it in that sense. Because if Grand Theft Auto sen- ceases to be good satire on American culture and becomes a marketed, focus-tested attempt to sell people by representing and glossing over touchy subjects, then you literally just have art or life imitating art, which is uh, cool. I think I think we've come full circle with the art with the, with the conversation. I am going to try to avoid my. Traditional sense of being negative and say, you know what? I'm optimistic about Grand Theft Auto. It's just, oh man, they're already getting in front of the whole like, I don't know, I th- like, dude, be like, be like, um, be like Sucker Punch when they made Ghost of Tsushima, where they're just like, yeah, we're a bunch of white guys who live in the Pacific Northwest. We're making a game about Japan where you play a samurai. Guess what? None of us are Japanese, and we're not trying to be historically accurate. Fuck you. We're making a cool samurai game. There's gonna be swords. It's gonna be fun. And it's like, cool. Everyone's on board. We're good. We'll see. We'll see. We'll move on. Let's move on. VGC talking about EA Games, talking about Black Panther. Cool. So, Electronic Arts is reportedly making a single-player open-world Black Panther game. According to Giant Bomb, the title the title is in early stages of development and is very likely being produced as a recent uh, at a recently established EA Studios head. Uh, sorry, recent es, recently established EA studio headed by former Monolith. Pro- Productions boss, Kevin Stevens. We talked about that team like two or three months ago, I want to say. Quote, it is a single-player game. It is very early in development, and the game starts with Black Panther being dead, reported by Jeff Grubbs, as he said during a podcast on Monday. The player is going to take on the challenge of becoming the new Black Panther, and that seems to be the setup for the game. Grubbs said that many of the details um, he has on the game are taken from the pitch for the title. The game is reportedly known as Project Rainier, uh, which Grubbs, Believes refers to monolith rainier 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 is that rain rainier or rainier in seattle where ea's new studio is based they're looking at making a big open world black panther game he said an ea announced last month that former monolith production studio head kevin stevens has joined the company to lead a new studio which would focus on development of open world action adventure games Stevens Stevens oversaw uh, Warner's Monolith Productions, uh, who made the Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor and Middle-Earth Shadow of War games. EA Senior VP and Group GM Samantha Ryan, who worked with Stevens when she was president of Monolith and later as Senior VP at Production and Development at Warner Bros. Interactive, wouldn't say whether the new outfit would work on original or existing IP brands, but told GamesIndustry.biz that more information about the studio would be shared later in 2021. Quote, the action-adventure space is hugely important in our genre and in our industry, blah, 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 and the EA players and fans of those games who are passionate, it's one of our favorites, blah, 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 fuck off. We make Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, basically says that at the end. Um. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm so, like, iffy on this, because it's like, we're making a Black Panther video game. I'm like, cool, that's a good idea. Kind of surprised it took this long for someone to do it because considering like how massively popular and successful that movie was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Black Panther immediately. Like if I compare him to any other superhero, I'm like, he's kind of like Wolverine in that it's like the, the, the type of game you can make with black Panther. is So painfully obvious. It's like you can make a very, very good third person action combat oriented game. Like fucking go for it. Awesome. Right. But then you're like, Oh, it's made by EA and it's an open world game. I'm like, no, now in all fairness this is a new studio we know there's a lot of um there's a lot of uh, famous talent behind this obviously you know we're talking about monolith productions ex uh, talent like the head kevin stevens let's let's draw on his experience monolith productions the shadow of war games those games are really highly regarded people love those games and they are open world games and they are third person action games and that's all great, but when I think about Black Panther and then you tell me it's open world, I'm like, well, okay, how are we going to traverse that world? Because because I assume if you're making a Black Panther game and it's open world, it's taking place in Wakanda. And it's like, so how are you going to traverse? Is I mean, I guess, I, I don't know. I, I, I only really know Black Panther from the movies, so in my experience, it's like Black Panther really gets around by driving cars. So, like, is he... Are, are you just going to be like suited up as black panther and then like fucking call in like a g-class mercedes and hop in and drive around wakanda like is that how does this work because i've never seen black panther like jump on the back of a horse and be like we ride into battle in his suit you know or anything like that so i guess that's a question for me i, I don't know why i'm getting hung up on the traversal so much but if it's open world i guess that kind of matters but I feel like maybe if this were, like, a simpler time, like, 15 years ago, there wouldn't be the pressure to make every goddamn game an open-world game, and we could just make this a more linear story-based... Dude, you could just do do it like, like, like you guys just did with Guardians of the Galaxy, or do it, like, Uncharted, or something like that, man. Like, you don't even have to do old-school level-based. You could do, like, a linear story-driven game. I just... The, the open world thing is like, ooh, that's a little – I'm a little dubious of that aspect. But the idea of a Black Panther game I think is excellent. Um, the I want to use Wolverine again as the, as the comparison. He reminds me of – Black Panther's like moveset and abilities and combat style reminds me of Wolverine. And Wolverine is one of those characters where it's like, yes, he's so perfect for a video game. Let's get that. And Raven actually made one of the very few good licensed movie tie-in games when they made that Wolverine game in 2009 to coincide with uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. And then we never really got another Wolverine game until now. We know that Insomniac, who made Ratchet and Clank, Resistance, and more recently Spider-Man, are working on a Wolverine game. So we're all, of course, extremely excited for that. Um, I'm like, dude, I, I kind of wish like Insomniac were making like Black Panther as well because I I want I want that style. I want like a Wolverine style Black Panther game. I don't I don't know. I'm open world insinuates you need to have like an arsenal of weapons or abilities. You need to have a really cool and interesting traversal and these are just like aspects I don't associate with Black Panther. With Black Panther I associate like combat, like close quarters combat. And so I'm like wouldn't it serve Black Panther better if you did like a more linear, story-driven experience. Also, it says that the game starts with the um, passing of the Black Panther to a new a new person, where um, where Black Panther has has died. So, uh, again, as someone who has no real understanding and context for Black Panther outside the movies, I don't know like who historically has taken on the Black Panther role outside of the the Black Panther we know from the movies, and also. I, I guess this is kind of the exact same topic that, unfortunately, you know, tragically, this is what the Black Panther movie series is having to handle right now. Is the you know the untimely and tragic death of Chadwick Boseman, of course, forced Marvel to be like, oh fuck, how are we going to do this next Black Panther movie? So it's interesting. Now we we're going to have a new movie and a new game that are both tackling with the same thing of like, hmm, who's going to be Black Panther? So I'm sure somewhere in the comics they. There have been multiple Black Panthers, and there are canonically many characters you can pull from and draw from. But I, I'm just ignorant as to who those characters would be. I don't know, man. That it's just I. If you told me, hey, we're doing a linear story-driven Black Panther third-person action game, a la like X-Men Origins Wolverine or like the Guardians of the Galaxy game that came out last year, I'd be like, hell yeah! Like I, yes, I want to play that game. I want to play that game, but you tell me it's open world. I'm just like, eh, I don't know. (laughs) And I guess there's a little bit of, this is kind of unfair, right? Because Square Enix have, have been the one working on the Marvel games recently with Avengers and, 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 um, and guardians of the galaxy and Avengers. I feel like left, even for people who didn't play it or people like myself who played so little of it that I can't really speak to it. I feel like that game left such a bad taste in everyone's mouth about Marvel games that now there's this, like, ooh, you're making a Marvel game? Ugh, is it going to be, like, Avengers, or is it going to be good, like, Spider-Man? I feel like that's kind of, like, the the climate surrounding Marvel games, which is kind of ridiculous to say because every Marvel character is so vastly different. That's, like, why? Just because a game about all the Avengers wasn't great doesn't mean, you know, a more focused game on one specific character. I get it, but th- that, <laughs> as maybe unjustifiable as it may seem, it's it that... that that climate and that kind of attitude towards Marvel games is now out there. Um, and it's probably just going to take a couple good games overriding it to change the public's mind. But I don't know, man, no one likes EA. <laughs> I don't see how open world makes sense for black Panther, but at the same time, it's like EA is just the publisher, man. This is a brand new, there's a brand new team with some great talent behind it. This could be, you know, the, this could be, like, the key studio that really gives us the best Marvel game we've ever seen outside of Insomniac's attempt at Spider-Man. So, I, I don't know. It could go any number of ways. I guess I'll just wrap with this. I, I have no experience playing the Shadow of War games, but it's, like, when I think of EA and the ability to do a good game like this, I'm, like, make something more like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and less, like, unless less, like, um, Shadow of War But but at the same time, this is a brand new team. This is a new studio. This is unproven, kind of an unproven talent in a way. Because obviously, even though some of the some of the talent behind the team are familiar, you know, getting all these people together and having to make a new game is is something entirely different. So, new IP, new opportunity, new team. I feel like this is a lot of like, okay, you're being given a very popular IP. Let's see what you can do with it. It almost makes you wonder why why couldn't monolith just make you know the black panther game why couldn't kevin just just stay with monolith and add to his team and make the black panther game because it seems like they're making a monolith game but with the black panther ip instead of lord of the rings why did this necessitate a whole entirely new team i guess maybe i'm just being too broad by being oh it's an open world game that means it's like that means it's like uh lord of the rings but i don't know man Nonetheless, I, I am excited to see more about this game. It's just knowing that it's like, okay, we're making a game. It's by new studio. It's it's Black Panther, and it's open world. It's like, okay, that's not enough for me to like really parse through and be like, wow, so much to talk about. But um, just in the concept itself, I, I'd be down to play a Black Panther game. I just, uh, man, does it, have to, does, does it always have to be open world, man? Can I just spend a nice 8 to 12 hours with a good narrative-driven linear story set in the Black Panther universe, please, for the love of God? Next up, let's keep up with VGC because I'm, I'm incapable of pulling from another website. Let's pick up the pace. We're going a little long this week. Xbox Division has reportedly generated record revenue during Microsoft's fiscal year, ending on June 30th. Microsoft reported its fourth quarter earnings on Tuesday when it said gaming revenue decreased by $259 million, or 70%, compared to the same period last year, in line with previous guidance. Let me be clear, I said 7%, not 70 uh, Xbox hardware revenue decreased 11%, and Xbox content and services revenue fell 6%, driven by lower engagement hours and monetization in third-party games and first-party content, partially offset by the growth of Game Pass subscriptions, Microsoft said. The decline you're seeing is in Xbox hardware is partly a reflection of the fact that we had that launch about two years ago, so with the supply constraints that we've seen over the last couple of years, it has kind of extended out that period for consoles. We're still seeing strong demand, but coming off the highs, we saw... In the last couple of years, sorry, that we saw in the last couple of years with the launch, said Kendra Goodenough uh, to the Verge. So that was actually reported by the Verge as that statement. Regardless, 3.45 billion in a quarter of sales uh, for Xbox rep- uh, represents the division's second best fourth quarter ever, according to an independent market analyst at Dom's, playing on Twitter, who said, assuming 3.45 billion in quarterly wi- uh, gaming sales, annual revenue for Xbox reached 16.2. Uh, billion he tweeted while that's down a bit from a rolling basis it's the highest finance uh, highest fiscal year sales ever for Xbox and in an update to the story Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella said during the company's earnings call quote we've sold more consoles life to date than any previous generation of Xbox uh, and have been in the market and have been the market leader in North America for three quarters in a row among next-gen consoles and with Xcloud gaming we are bringing games to new points. Players can now stream games on Samsung smart TVs. And we partnered with Epic Games to take Fortnite, uh, to make Fortnite available for free via the browser. Over 4 million people have streamed the game today, including over a million who are new to the ecosystem. That is a huge one. It was recently reported that worldwide PC shipments experienced the sharpest decline in nine years. During the second quarter of 2022, according to research and cons- um, consulting firm uh, Gartner, Quote, We did see the market weakening through the quarter, so that did impact our results. Microsoft's good enough to hold. uh, The Verge. Uh, Microsoft said last month that it's on track to release at least five first-party games in the next 12 months. So far, Bethesda's Starfield and Red sorry Redfall and Starfield, which were recently delayed to early next year, are the two only two titles confirmed. Um, that leaves at least three first-party games set to be released before June 30th of next year that we are not entirely familiar with as of yet. So, yeah, Xbox continues to grow, and this is the story that's despite supply constraints and everything going on in the market xbox keeps doing well and we've seen things are dropping off a bit as people kind of go back to normal and people aren't on lockdown and some people aren't working from home anymore and you know people got some they're out and maybe you know they they're a little fatigued from being home all the time and they're out doing things again that gaming revenue has dropped a little bit and on top of that and i think this is actually the bigger reason why it's dropped a little bit the the, everything's a little slow in gaming right now there are so many delays everything's pushed back so far because of development issues during the 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 black plague that everything's delayed nothing's coming out this year it's kind of a slow time period we started out big this year with like elden ring and everything and then we moved in into like may summer time and it's just been at a standstill. You know, what is there for people to really buy and play right now? I mean, if you're on Game Pass, you got some nice games coming here and there. Uh, but really, for the most part, like, the last notable big-ish game to come to Xbox was The Quarry. And even that was, like, only pretty notable because there wasn't much else happening around it. So I, I think that's kind of the situation where you look in the holidays and Xbox has no first-party content, really. You know, you got some second-party stuff like... Um, fuck, what's that Rick and Morty shooter game that I'm, for, I'm blanking on the name of? And then you got Sonic, you got Call of Duty, you got you got Batman, you got Hogwarts, supposedly. High on life, that's the game I was thinking of, high on life. Anyway, so, you know, it's, it's, it, people are kind of like taking a break from, from, um, from gaming right now. In fact, I want to pull a quote or pull a comment from the bottom of the show and just read it now where Dead Captain James says, I haven't turned on my Xbox in like a month. There's been a large drought of games that I'm interested in, I still have pretty much been exclusively playing Steam Deck. Greatest handheld of all time. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a thing a lot of people are, are seeing, and right now I'm kind of in a weird off, like uh, out of sync thing right now, where I'm actually playing a lot of games right now because uh, being sick a few weeks ago and being stuck at home during that has kind of like forced me to do nothing but play Xbox and kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone, maybe play some new games and got me in the mood a little bit, so to speak. Um, but other than that, like I'd probably be in the same boat as most of uh, as most of these people contributing these numbers. And that, yeah, I mean, like, what what is there really to do other than you know grind that Halo Infinite uh, season two battle pass that's gonna last. 24,000 light years, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't I don't, know, there's not really a whole lot left to do uh, on, on the Xbox front. Um, obviously, it's a great time to be working on your backlog, to be exploring Game Pass and things like that, which, you know, my, myself, I'm doing that. And I know a lot of people are probably enjoying that, but from a revenue generating standpoint, eh, that doesn't do much for you if you're Xbox. And so it's impressive to see them pulling these numbers and doing as well as they are, despite all the, the circumstances. And they're basically leading hardware sales right now among next-gen consoles which really just means ps5 because i'm pretty sure switch is outselling both you know in term in terms of quarter and month by month obviously in lifetime sales it's outselling them because it's been on the market way longer but i i, I don't know man it's it, it's it's kind of a story of the xbox 360 generation right now right Where that first year of the Xbox 360, there wasn't a whole lot going on. It was just that PlayStation 3 is not out yet. Xbox 360 is. Xbox 360 is possible to buy if you want to buy it. PlayStation 3 does not exist. We're kind of in a somewhat similar situation where it's like getting your hands on a PS5 is still damn near impossible. Getting your hands on an Xbox Series S, it's pretty doable. Getting your hands on Xbox Series X, It's a lot harder, but it's not as hard as the PS5. And so it's like, yeah, a lot of people are just like, eh, fuck, I'll buy an Xbox. So people are buying the consoles and people are subscribing to Game Pass because that's what all the hubbub is about over on Team Xbox. But there aren't many new games. There's not really much big happening. And one of the ways we're seeing Xbox grow is through Game Pass and through other means of playing Xbox games that aren't console-related, streaming on your phone or tablet, playing in a browser, playing on a Samsung TV, all these new avenues. And this is the, this is the thing Xbox has been talking about for years now. It's it's about those new growth markets, those new growth uh, what vectors of like, hey, people pl- play games on their phone. Hey, people play games on computers and all these things. So they're growing the the Xbox revenue and they're growing the brand by being on other platforms. And so it's working for Xbox in terms of getting market share and getting mind share and growing and doing well, despite the supply restraints right now, constraints right now. But all in all, it's kind of a we're kind of still in the same holding pattern we've been in forever, where it's just like, yeah, but like, how long does this last? What does it look like when when we're done with all the big delays and the gunking up of the industry? What happens like a year from now when? All the shit that got delayed is being released and it's being released on top of all the shit that would have otherwise been released for that respective year. And, you know, 2023 or four are just these massive years with so many fucking games coming. And maybe it's way easier to get an Xbox and a PlayStation by that point. What does it look like then? And those are the numbers I'm curious to see. And that's the kind of data I'm, I'm more interested in. You know, Xbox is touting about how well they're doing, these quarterly numbers and oh, the second best. Q4 we've ever had for Xbox and all these things, but it's like more specific numbers. How many consoles have you sold? How many game, you know, how many copies of this game did you sell and all that stuff? And I know game copies kind of don't mean shit anymore because of Game Pass, but like, give us some numbers. Like, tell us because they're they're trying to make it seem like Xbox Series X is doing way better than Xbox 360 at, at this point in its time and its lifespan. It's like, is is that true? Can you? give us numbers that support that? Like, cause that's kind of a crazy statement and assertion to be making. And again, Microsoft doesn't provide data. So we're left just kind of like f- f- twiddling our thumbs like, oh, data, data, data. I wonder, oh, they must be doing good. But I don't know, man. It's like, they're talking, you know, the analysts plus what Microsoft's saying. It's like, everything is great and everything is not as good as it could be. Is kind of what it seems like, but Xbox continues to do strong under the unprecedented times and constraints the industry is facing. But once PlayStation 5 is easy to find on store shelves and PlayStation is in the full swing of its generation it has all these awesome first party games coming out left and right, then what does it look like on Team Xbox? How is Game Pass doing for you at that point? Of course, you know, with PlayStation, we actually don't know what the fuck they're doing because they haven't had an event in so long and we don't really know what their slate of games looks like outside of Spider-Man 2 and Wolverine, which probably aren't coming out for quite some time. So it, it, Xbox has plenty of opportunity to continue the momentum. I'm being like, all right, and here's Starfield, and here's Redfall, and here's this game, and here's an expansion for Halo Infinite, and here's another game, and here's all these games we've been announcing for years but apparently don't exist, like Fable and shit like that. And, you know, it's like when Xbox starts coming out, with when we get Indiana Jones, when we get fucking, you know, fucking give me that... Um, contraband and all this shit like when we start getting all the games and the cadence is good man that's what i want to see is how does that make xbox fair put up against playstation when when you can go into a best buy or a target and you can see an xbox series s an xbox series x a ps5 digital and a ps5 uh physical all on store shelves all four in stock and you can go hmm which one do i want to buy and when you're looking at the release of games, it's like, whoa, well, Game Pass has got all this shit. It keeps coming boom, 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 one after another. They even got Activision now. And you're looking over at PlayStation, and PlayStation's got, oh, Uncharted remaster one remastered three times. And Uncharted Two remastered the fourth time. And The Last of Us one and two bundled together, but only half of it's remade. And and you know, they probably got I'm not just trying to shit on PlayStation. I'm just laughing because of the fucking constant remasters. But um, you know, they got the fucking God of War and Spider-Man and Ghost of Tsushima 2 and fucking all all of this stuff that looks hot it's, it's attractive it's looking good but then you also got game pass to throw into the mix it's like then how is game how is xbox doing that's though mm, that's when i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing how xbox's performance is all right guys so technically we have four more stories but i'm lumping it into one giant story because it is all ubisoft related and so i'm calling this the Ubisoft Clusterfuck News Hour. This this first part, and this is broken into, yeah, let me count, one, two, three, four, five. It's broken into five, four, really, 4.5 stories. <laughs> but it's all just one big clusterfuck of Ubisoft news. So let's start with the first one that broke like right after last week's episode went live. So this is the only bit that's kind of old at this point. But Ubisoft have announced that they are ceasing development, canceling Development of Ghost Recon Frontline, Splinter Cell VR, and two unannounced games. During a financial call listened in by um, by VGC, the company said that both games had been canceled due to the challenging financial environment. The company did not provide further details. Splinter Cell VR was in development at Ubisoft's Red Storm Studio, who were the guys who used to make like all the fucking Tom Clancy games, with support from Reflections. Ghost Recon Frontline was in development from Ubisoft butcherist that was the battle royale ghost recon if i'm not mistaken Yeah, that was the Battle Royale groups of four, 100 players. That was the one that got completely shit on last October when they announced it with that reveal trailer, all that backlash and everything. So that's that's part one. So let's just put a pin in these. Let's just read them one by one and just put a pin in them, and then we'll talk about it all together in tandem, because I feel like that's kind of the only thing we can do with all this Ubisoft uh, bullshit. So the, the part two of four or five is that Ubisoft has delayed the release of Avatar Frontiers of Pandora the game that's been in development for like six years. Previously set to be released in calendar 2022, it will now arrive during the company's fiscal year beginning in April of 2023, so this game cannot release until at least at earliest April 2023. My guess is it will probably be fall 2023. Quote, we are committed to delivering cutting-edge immersive experiences that take full advantage of next-gen technology and, amaze, uh, and this amazing global entertainment brand represents a major multi-year opportunity for Ubisoft. They said on, Tuesday, on Thursday when the announcement was made, last Thursday. We also decided to release, in 2023 to 2024, a smaller unannounced premium game originally slated for 2022 to 2023. So they're also releasing another game that was unannounced that was slated for this time zone, slotting that up a little bit to kind of swap with Avatar. While this additional development time is a reflection, or sorry, sl- sorry, slotting it additionally back, so everything's getting pushed back. They said, while the additional development time is a reflection of the current ongoing constraints in production across the industry, we are hard at work on design, designing the most efficient working conditions to ensure both flexibility for our teams as well as strong productivity, while delivering the best experience to players. Avatar Flights of Pandora is a first-person open-world action-adventure game for Xbox Series X and S, the PC and Stadia and Luna, developed by Massive Entertainment the guys that make The Division. The title was originally planned to release with James Cameron's The Way of Water Avatar movie, which is hitting theaters this December 16th, but is now being pushed back another year. All right, so put a pin in that. And keep in mind that they said they're also delaying an unannounced game. I love that they're delaying a game that is not announced. So keep keep that in mind. And that's going to go in uh, with this next story, where (laughs) Ubisoft reportedly delayed the next Assassin's Creed game to spring of 2023. While not officially announced, Bloomberg reportedly told was uh, reported in February that Ubisoft is planning on releasing a smaller-scale, stealth-focused Assassin's Creed game this year or in 2023, codenamed Rift, and starring Assassin's Creed Valhalla character uh, Basim or whatever his name is. The title was originally planned as an expansion for the most recent series entry before being spun into a standalone game. The smaller game is Rift according to Bloomberg which reportedly on reported on Friday that Ubisoft has pushed the release window of an unannounced game from February 2023 to mid May, to May slash June of next year. Rift is reportedly being set in the Middle East, including Baghdad, with the development being led by Ubisoft Bordeaux Studio. The game is expected to be released before the officially announced Assassin's Creed Infinity, which is a collaboration between Ubisoft Quebec, who made Odyssey, and Ubisoft Montreal, who made Origins and Valhalla. Man, that, that hurt for a second. I was like, whoa, Odyssey, Origins, Valhalla. I didn't realize there were that many of those like big open-world Assassin's Creed games. God, there's so many Assassin's Creed games. Anyway, so that is the next part. So so far, just to recap, we got Splinter Cell VR and that Battle Royale Ghost Recon game that no one wanted have been canceled. Plus, two unannounced games have been canceled. They're telling us that two games that they have not told us about have been canceled. All right, next up, Avatar is being delayed by, like, it seems like at least half a year or so to maybe a full year. Um, And also, another game uh, is being pushed back as well. A game that they did not announce. So that's three games unannounced that have been delayed. Um, (laughs) And now, Assassin's Creed, which this second Assassin's Creed game, which is a smaller, more spin-off, stealth-based Assassin's Creed game, not full-fledged Assassin's Creed Infinity, like the new game we know they're working on, um, which has not been formally announced, it's just a rumor, has also been delayed. That is probably one of the three unannounced games that's being delayed. Okay, <laughs> let's get into the end of it. So the next one is that Ubisoft's mythological open-world adventure game, Immortal Phoenix Rising, is set to receive a Polynesian-themed spin-off. It's been claimed. On the Games Mess Decides podcast, Giant Bomb journalist Jeff Grubb, who's just on all the podcasts all the time, except this one apparently, read out the following claims from a source. He expressed confidence in saying, quote, Ubisoft Quebec's sequel to Immortal Phoenix Rising is not a proper sequel. It's more of a spinoff. The production name of the game is called Oxygen. It's based on a Hawaiian Polynesian culture this time around. It still has a god narrator, and they still try to be visually stylized, but less of a copy of Breath of the Wild. In an early pre-production scene, some concept art, it's coming out maybe in 2025, Grubb said this source also knew about Ubisoft's plan to end development of Ghost Recon Frontline, which was announced shortly before the recording of the podcast, which we just talked about. All right, and then finally, this is the last little tidbit. Also speaking with Jeff Grubb, because he's on all podcasts, as we just said. On the Xbox Era podcast, Jeff Grubb said that Roller Champions, which is apparently already out. I thought this game was not out yet. Is going to be canceled by ubisoft ubisoft came out and said they're not commenting on it but they or or no, no they came out and said that's not true and that they have no plans to announce any cancellation of any game but apparently this game's already been out for a couple seasons and i didn't even know that it's this is like their rollerblading rocket league type game and uh yeah apparently it's been out for a while now and jeff grubb told xbox era podcast that uh, his sources say the game is probably going to be canceled soon. So, three unannounced games that have been canceled. They're canceling games they haven't announced to the public. One of those games, we believe, is a smaller independent, or not independent, a smaller Assassin's Creed game that is supposed to be like kind of a little spin off stealth game um, as an appetizer before the next major Assassin's Creed game. One of the big games being delayed by at least half a year is the new uh, Avatar game, which has been in development for eons. Uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising, which barely did well or sold anything, is somehow getting a sequel spinoff type game that won't be released for another two years. And it's a Polynesian themed setting this time around instead of like an ancient Greek whatever it had before. Uh, let's see, what else are we missing here? Splinter Cell VR is cancelled. Ghost Recon Battle Royale is cancelled. Ubisoft, what the fuck is going on? Now we know in September, Ubisoft is supposed to have their big event, their big um, showcase announcement E3 style event, right? That is where we're expecting to see this new unannounced um, Assassin's Creed game. That's where we were expecting to get a firm release date for Avatar. That's where we're expected to see this new, isn't there a new fucking uh, division game in development, Uh, we're supposed to see, maybe some update on this Splinter Cell game, maybe the VR Splinter Cell game, Eh, everything is canceled and delayed, fuck you. So I still think it's highly highly likely that Assassin's Creed shows up and we get a reveal for it and that we will see Avatar and all these things, but Ubisoft is in a rough spot and they're talking about canceling some of these games because of financial reasons. Which is like, whoa, um, the VR one in particular, it's just like that. that's a smaller like side project thing. It's fan service. Like I feel like that one's kind of a shoe in to do all right. Plus there's not a whole lot of good VR games coming out at any any given time. So if you put out a good one, generally it's bound to make money. Uh, Ghost Recon Battle Royale, I think that was a good move to cancel that. No one wanted that game. But the thing is, we know Ubisoft's plan, which they're trying to backtrack on, it seems like, right now, as we've been talking about for the past couple months. You know, their, their plan was to do all these freaking games as a service, Battle Royale, tons of multiplayer games. We got X Defiant, which we were talking about a couple weeks ago I played. And they're trying to throw all these games out there they're like, ah, oh, we need our Fortnite. We need our games as a service. Come on, what's going to work? What's going to stick? And it seems like it's biting them in the ass because they're developing all these games. They're not working out. People don't like them. People don't want them. People aren't playing them. And then it's like sunk in development cost. And then on top of that, their games rollouts kind of being slower than usual. We're not getting as many games and as fast a clip as we used to get. And so it's a little bit of like a what's going on here kind of situation for Ubisoft. You look at it, it's like in the past, like in this year alone, in 2022 alone, guys, we've gotten... This is not counting re-releases or mobile games. This is just actual legitimate video games that matter. We've had Roller Champions, which I didn't even know was out, but now it looks like it's going to be canceled. We had that Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake, which got ripped from the Indian studio and given to another Ubisoft studio because the development was a mess. We got... Oddballers, which I don't even know what that fucking is, but apparently that, that exists. Skull and Bones, which is coming out in November, which we know that's a shit or get off the pot kind of game for them. Mario and Rabbids Spark of Hope on Nintendo Switch, and that that's it. You know, there's like a couple updates for some games. They released that Ezio Assassin's Creed collection on Nintendo Switch. It's just a re-release. Oh, Rainbow Six Extraction. Uh, yeah, Rainbow Six Extraction came out in January, at the very beginning of the year. So, that's it. And None of those games I just named were like, whoa, those games did great or came out already and garnered great fanfare. Honestly, from what we see here, what is poised to be the best Ubisoft game, the most successful from a sales and critical reception kind of perspective, the the biggest game for Ubisoft this year is the sequel to Mario and Rabbids, which is a Nintendo Switch exclusive. It's not a good spot to be in if you are a major publisher, because Avatar is no longer coming out this year. It was supposed to. X-Defiant might come out this year. I still think there's a chance for that one. I think we'll definitely see at the September event. And man, I mean, yeah, that Tom Clancy's, Uh, oh yeah, the Division Heartland. That's the game that's supposed to, that I think we're talking about. Yeah, man, like, I don't, what is the deal? You know, we know they're working on a Star Wars game. Massive's working on a Star Wars game that's probably years away. We're probably not going to see at the event. Why are we doubling down on uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising when that first one just didn't make money? I know historically sometimes Ubisoft games do a lot better on the sequel than they do on the first one in particular where it's like, oh, this game's not that good. And then the sequel comes out and like, no, this game's good, you know, like, like Watch Dogs or Far Cry or any of those series. Even Assassin's Creed is kind of like that a little bit. Um... Dude, I just this is all trouble. I think this smaller Assassin's Creed game is probably a cry for help. I think this is I think this was supposed to be a big DLC for Valhalla and then they're like, "No, we need a we need a release. We need something." And Assassin's Creed can be a safe bet sometimes. So they're like, "Maybe people are a little nostalgic for a classic style Assassin's Creed since we do these big open world RPGs now." And maybe they're like spun some of this off fleshed it out some more and and made this otherwise expansion kind of its own little game and now we're going to get that next year that's going to be basically their big release for a while (laughs) as as we wait for this long in development uh, avatar game to finally finally come to fruition and we know that far cry is kind of on the back burner right now after far cry 6 you know sold really well but got a lot of backlash backlash for far cry fatigue and and Assassin's Creed Infinity is, you know, this big, ambitious service, ever living and breathing Assassin's Creed project, which is probably still a few years off. So maybe they announce it, but I don't that game is not coming out anytime soon. So it's like really down to like this new Division Heartland game, this new, smaller Assassin's Creed game, X Defiant. And like that's that's really like it. And so like because all these other games we're hearing rumors about, these aren't for a while out. And you're canceling Splinter Cell VR, which, you know, obviously that's going to reach a much smaller audience being a VR title, but, like, people are clamoring for some Splinter Cell, man. Ubisoft needs some fan service. They need some goodwill from the community. Do you really want to get rid of the Splinter Cell project? A game that's so fit for VR because Sam Fisher literally runs around with like fucking goggles over his face. Like it's so perfect for VR. But man, the fact that they're having to reel it in because of production costs and and, and just having to be more wise about some of these decisions because of presumably because of poor investments and poor performance of some of these games. It's an additional bad look for Ubisoft, a, a publisher we've been talking about for a while now that seems to be in a little bit of hot water. And now I'm just extra curious about what the September event looks like because... Man, what do you have to show? What do you have on the horizon, and what, what's going to go down with you guys? Like, cause it's not looking great right now, and you just canceled three games that you didn't even announce. Like, you're, you know you're in a bad spot when you're canceling more games than you've announced. It's like, hey, we have four games announced right now that are in production. We're canceling six of them, and people are like, "What the fuck? <laughs> what do you what are you canceling?" Um, so, man, I just. Man, this 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 paints a picture, right? When you have all these stories back to back to back in one news week, this paints a picture for where Ubisoft is at, and it's a crazy one. And you know, there's the potential stock leverage buyout thing that's you know that's happening, and the Gilmour family wants to try and retain ownership, and you gotta wonder is like is it time to maybe like let Embracer gobble up Ubisoft or something? Is that is that a ridiculous idea? Is that a ridiculous possibility? I don't know, man. It's ins- it's. Kind of crazy what's going on at Team Ubisoft, but we continue to be excited for the future because I, I, I cannot wait to see how they try and respond to this and bounce back. And again, I'll say, as someone who's played X find, I will say that game has potential to be a big hit. If they change the name to something good and market it right and get it out there as a free-to-play game and it's not broken and it's not disgusting with the gross monetization... I think that game has potential to really be something special and popular. So they just, they got to, they got to focus more on really catering to what they're good at and what they have in their stable, rather than throwing it all at a wall and seeing what sticks, because I think that's, what's put them in a bit of a a corner here. And now, now they got to work their way out, but that's going to do for all of our big news stories, guys. Let's real quick talk about the stories uh, that are important enough. News stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussions, which we have a couple here to really quickly run through. Um, VGC reports that the Lord of the Rings Golem has been delayed by a few months. The uh, publisher, Daily Entertainment, and Nancon, or Nacon have announced this week. The game was rep- previously planned for September 1st, but will now come out a few months later. VGC also reports that Bungie will have all of its future plans for Destiny 2 announced during a showcase in late August. They said, witness what's next, it teased in the video highlight key moments of light and darkness saga, which is... Uh, viewable online right now. Destiny 2 Showcase will be on August 23rd, almost exactly a year to the day since the last event they held of a similar nature. Of course, I'm excited for that. Who doesn't love some Destiny 2? Let's go, baby. Next up, penultimate here, Capcom has claimed it's on track to achieve 10 years of consecutive operation income growth despite its latest sales and income declining year over year. For three months ended in June twenty June 30th of, the, of this year, net sales were down 47% year over year to 25%. 30 sorry 25,332 million yen operating income down 48.9% which is 12,061 million yen and ordinary income is down 46.4% or 12,802 million yen the company attributed the decline to the release in a new major title in the same period of the previous year resident evil village which is fair they haven't put out anything that big in a while all right we know resident evil 4 remakes on the way though Alright, and finally, VGC reports that the Xbox Series X and S will soon be able to boot up quicker once a new feature that's being tested rolls out. The boot up animation will be reduced from roughly 9 seconds to 4 seconds, so expect a shorter load boot time sometime in early August when the feature begins rolling out to insiders. But guys, that's going to do for all of our news this week. Now, we take a deep breath. Take a sip of your water, man. We chill out. Man, I, I, I'm starting to think... Jay, if you're listening to this podcast, I want to apologize because the whole time we're talking about news, I'm thinking about your your minty milk. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, mint ice cream is totally a thing. Mint chocolate chip ice cream. Isn't minty milk kind of just some form of minty ice cream, but in a melted formation? And you know what I'm starting to think is that minty milk might be super refreshing and maybe I'm just being a massive dick here by scratching my head and wondering about the mint milk so jay i'm sorry if you're listening i hope i haven't scared you away from the podcast by just being a total dick jay i hope you're having a wonderful day and if if you are feeling parched or famished or uh scorched by the heat as i know it must be hot over there in australia where it's winter time please drink yourself a minty milk guys let's get over to the comments the shout outs from youtube you know how it works you head on over to youtube.com you click on the Xbox on podcast. You click on the latest episode. We go through the latest episode and we do the comments. And you leave something nice. You say, "Jesse, I really appreciate the fact that you you can be a, a bread and butter fan, considering the fact that considering the fact that there is a there is a bread shortage going on in the world due to the semiconductor." chip manufacturing that goes into bread. Uh, The fact that you still find time to to purchase and consume bread in these great trying times is is admirable. Or you can leave a mean comment and you can say, Jesse is fat! And then leave it at that, boy, what a stinger. It just says everything I don't want to hear. And it's just so short and sweet and poignant. Fuck, it hurts. But you can say it. No one's going to stop you. Now, we already read Dead Captain James' comment a little earlier, uh, but he does say that Steam Deck is the greatest handheld of all time. Dead Captain James... Seems like everyone loves Steam Deck. I really want to try... I want to get my hands on one. I want to feel it in my hands and, and just hold it. Uh, glad to see you're enjoying your Steam Deck. But, if you don't come back to Xbox soon, you will learn... You, you will learn... You will lose your street cred as an elite gamer and an X-Bot. And I will send... I'll send the Yakuza to your house to cut off one pinky. Your choice, of course. But one pinky... As a form of punishment. Speaking of Yakuza and gaslighting your audience, let's read a comment from ERNCO5. You told me how to pronounce this before, and I forgot because I'm an asshole. He said, I've been a faithful listener of the podcast since episode 71. I don't know why you know that, but that's awesome that you remember which episode got you started. But that's, that's nice. Thank you. I listen every Thursday night while I'm working at my third shift job. God bless you. I would comment more often, but after work, I always forget to head over to YouTube and comment lol. I absolutely love the Yakuza series and until I got my Series X on day 1, and I popped in Yakuza like a dragon only to find out the battle system had been changed. It turned the style combat or sorry, the turn style combat really blows uh it makes me wish I never had started playing the series in the first place. How does a company do that to a fan base? Jesse, please explain to me how they can do this to us. So I actually, confession time, I have not played Like a Dragon yet. I've only played Yakuza 0, 1, and 2. I have three downloaded on my hard drive, ready to go. I'm trying to get to it, but I keep playing other games instead. But I need to get back to Yakuza. I was aware that Like a Dragon has more of a turn-based style, uh, action or combat style, but... Remember Like a Dragon is basically a spin-off franchise of Yakuza. So, I don't have a problem with it in that context, you know, knowing that it's a spin-off. The main series has the brawler action combat and the Like a Dragon series has the uh, turn-based more RPG-style combat. That doesn't bother me at all. What does make me make me kind of apprehensive is knowing that Like a Dragon did very well and the next game they're making is likely a direct sequel to Like a Dragon. So I'm like, hmm, are we going to go back to the main series? I don't know. I haven't played all the way through 6 yet, so I don't know what happens to the to to our Kiru and our in our main protagonists of the of the main series and if it makes sense to even go back to the main series or if if we're just permanently in this RPG style actually they made there was that story in the news where they said that going forward the turn-based combat is the combat style for Yakuza so i take that all back i'm literally just remembering this now that is that is yakuza's combat going forward is the turn-based stuff so i am sorry to hear that this is a disappointment to you and i tried to remain optimistic about this cuz i definitely want to play like a dragon at some point but i don't know like i i like turn-based but at the same time i i like My favorite thing about, let me put it like this. My favorite thing about Yakuza was never the combat. I enjoy the combat. It's fun, don't get me wrong. And it's basically the main mechanic of the game because the main thing you do in the game is fight people. But the thing that really grabs grabs me to Yakuza is the story. It's the writing, it's the characters. It is the absurd zaniness of that world and the stupid shit that can happen. And and honestly, the gameplay, Yakuza is one of those games where the gameplay comes second to me. So if you tell me you're changing the combat style from like a brawler to a turn-based RPG, I'm okay with that as long as the game, from a moment to moment standpoint, largely stays focused on the same style of storytelling and writing. So I guess that's why I've never really been taken aback by it. But I haven't played like a dragon yet, so I can't really uh, commiserate. Is that how you say commiserate with you? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that you were distraught. I'm sorry that you were disappointed. I'm sure there's some Facebook help group for people yakuza fans who are gripping with the realization that the brawler combat is no more and also can i just say while i'm recording the podcast i am holding this portable charger battery pack i purchased from amazon on prime day a few weeks back and guys this thing weighs like 5 fucking pounds it feels like it is the largest heaviest fucking brick in the world i bought it so that you know if i do like a long day at like a theme park or if, god forbid i ever travel and go anywhere again in my life you know i can bring this with me and charge my phone throughout the day and not have that anxiety that battery anxiety but fuck dude this thing like i could bludgeon someone with this goddamn thing it is roughly the size and weight of an actual brick but um i guess that's not really relevant to yakuza right thanks for writing in E R N 5 now you you said also you said uh I always mean to comment, but I don't blah, 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 blah. And then I left some snarky comment about how you have to comment in. Let, let me be clear. I am aware that sometimes my tone comes off as like, you guys need to write in. You guys need to go to my stream. You guys need to subscribe on YouTube. Let me be very clear about something. I, I struggle sometimes with tone and the way the things I say come off. You don't ever owe me a comment. Like if you, you work a third shift job, uh, thank you for your work. Like you you contribute enough already. You do a lot already. Like. If this series gives you any kind of respite from an exhausting job and gives you some uh, entertainment and enjoyment, um, that is worth way more than, than a comment or a nice review or anything. Those things are greatly appreciated, of course, but at the end of the day, just enjoy the show and listen. I'm glad that this show can be a, a form of entertainment for you. Um, there is no... Necessity or, or or requirement for anyone to leave a nice review or a nice comment um, I just say that because, you know, as a, as the host, you know, I'm supposed to say Please give me a comment. Please give me a, a review But um, I know sometimes it might come across a little more like entitled or demanding Which I don't intend for it to um, But also leave more comments leave five-star reviews iTunes You know how to fucking do it. Don't make me hold your hand through it. I'm not your goddamn father. Okay Now let's talk about having the talk speaking of parenting Mr. Way the Lao writes in and says, hello, hello, guys. I hope everyone's doing well and staying hydrated during the heat. That's right. We're having like a fucking global fucking heat wave. And wow. Anyways, Jesse, I think it's time you have the talk with everyone about where babies come from. Does anyone here have Skull and Bones uh, down for will be a good game? I doubt it will even... If it does have pirates saying "our matey," <laughs> I think it's time you change the format of the show to that of a gardening show. The way that way, people can tell you you're growing your tomatoes wrong. Anyways, take care and best wishes to you and the fam. Way to Lau as always. God bless you. Thank you for writing in. Take care. You stay you stay safe and hydrated uh, during the heat as well, please. And dude, if you want me to tell you about where babies come from, it's quite it's quite simple really. So when a mother and a father love each other very much but it's 2022 so let's you know when two people love each other very much let's not let's not let's not say be so old school about when two people love each other very much they pick their favorite tech corporation for some it's google for some it's apple for some it's microsoft for me it's microsoft for some it's amazon and they say hi i am a consumer i'm looking to buy and then their eyes light up and they say i'm looking to buy a child in the couple, regardless of the makeup, whether it's a mother and a father or two fathers or two two mothers or whatever it is, they get together and they pick out the ideal child. Then the kid gets shipped to them. I don't think the important thing is really where the baby comes from. I think it's what you do once you get the baby because this is the natural progression path for a baby. Once you get the kid... The kid is naturally going to gravitate towards technology. It is exciting. It is captivating. It is visually stimulating. It starts out these days, especially with tablets and phones and things like that. And ooh, what is this? Pretty lights. But as the kid gets older, the parent has the opportunity to invite them to to invite them into the world of gaming. Generally, parents start small with something like Nintendo because it has a lot of family-friendly games, kid-friendly games. Easy to pick up and play games, colorful, inviting, and intox- visually intoxicating games, and so you start your kid off with Nintendo. You're doing good, right? Amazon ships you the kid, you Prime deliver it overnight. You're having a good time. You and your, you and your spouse will raise the fucking kid, and you put it in the Nintendo camp. So there's this is this is the most important thing in parenting. Is at this point you have one of three, one of four directions really your kid can go. Then you go direction A which is where they they grow up a little bit and they go, Nintendo was good and fun, but now I'm going to go play Xbox where all the good shit is. That's a well-adjusted grown adult. Then go path B, which is PlayStation, which is, you know, Nintendo was good shit. Now I'm going to go play all the adult fun games on PlayStation. That is a mostly well-adjusted person who really enjoys remakes of the same game over and over again. And then you can go down path three. This is this is a guy you gotta watch out for. A guy who goes, "Wow, G Wiz, games sure were fun on Nintendo. I liked Mario and Kirby. He's cute, G Wiz. Now I want to go buy a bunch of fucking robot parts and put them together like goddamn Frankenstein and and, and create my own monstrous creation." and I'll call it a politically correct, and I'll plug a mouse and keyboard into it, and I'll put RGB all over it, and the girls will definitely wanna come hang out with me and S on my D while I play on Steam, and maybe if I wanna take my awesome library on the go, I'll Steam Deck the whole thing. Back in my parents' generation, they used to use skateboards, they called them decks. Younger generation, when they're referring to a deck, of course, they're referring to a large, hunky 24-pound Steam Deck, and, the kid might want to be a PC gamer. Now, this is the kind of kid you got to watch out for. This kid is not mentally all right. They're not well-adjusted. You might want to get them into therapy. And therapy, for those who are wondering, is also handled by the tech corporations. You pick your favorite tech corporation, you buy their subscription service to their therapy. I think Apple does a really great um, therapy subscription service, which you can get your kid into, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's that's how parenting roughly goes. The The fourth track, and this is the most concerning track of all, is when the kid grows up and says, gee whiz, Nintendo was fun. Why would I ever try PC, Xbox, or PlayStation? I'm going to stick with, P- with with Nintendo. And that kid is a man-child and must be destroyed. And what I mean is, I'm talking late-term abortion. I'm talking about, oh, oh the kid is 13 years old. How many trimesters is that? I don't give a shit. You abort that kid right then and there. That is all you can do when the kid has surpassed the appropriate age to be a Nintendo gamer and is still favoring the latest fucking Kirby Yoshi bullshit game over goddamn halo infinite it's a very big problem it happens to millions of kids in this country and we need to address it and there is technically a sixth option those kids play mobile games but we don't really address them because we kind of you know eh, you know it's like we 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 got to we got to acknowledge they exist otherwise we get in trouble with our corporations and on the internet but we don't really want to treat them like real humans cuz c- come on they're mobile gamers all right I hope that clarifies some things for you, way of the Lao. Now, speaking of Halo, Kronky writes in and says, New theory on Halo Infinite. I mean, yes, of course the game's new, the game needs new maps, blah, blah, blah. It's in a pretty solid state. Anyone can obviously see that, so why the hatred online? Simple. Mad cause bad. It's a really sweaty game and everyone's just salty. You're not totally wrong. I played Halo Infinite on stream this week. Um and uh, I started out being a whiny bitch. Just being like, you guys always want me to play Halo. Why do not you play Halo? And then, like, at the first 30 minutes, I was trying to do challenges and play Last Spartan Standing and all this crap. And I was like, this game fucking sucks. I hate Halo. And then I was like, you know what? Ignore the challenges. Ignore everything. Just go into Team Slayer and play classic fucking Halo. And I did that. And I was like, wow, this game is so fun. I love Halo Infinite. The key is to ignore the shit 343 wants you to do. Forget about the battle pass. Forget about the daily challenges. Forget about the fucking whatever timed event and the stupid armor core that doesn't even look good and you can't use it on other armor sets. Forget about all that. Just play some fucking Team Slayer and have fun. That's all there is to it, Cronky. Temple Knight, more like Temple Hunk, Wrote in with four fucking comments, so I'm not even reading these, or I didn't even pre-read these as I normally do. I'm just going to read these in the order you posted them, so whatever. Here's just a fucking of, of comments. You said, have you tried soda? the soda called Moxie? It's a New England thing. Most people don't like it at first, but it grows on you. Uh, okay, I was gonna I was gonna rapid fire these, but now I gotta look this up. Moxie Soda. I have not seen this. It is a brand of beverages among mass production. Blah blah blah. 1876. Augusta. August Augustine Thompson. Fucking Coca Cola Company. The Coca Cola Company manufactures it. Okay. What's the flavor? I've never heard of Moxie, and knowing it's from New England makes me not want to try it. Um, they won't tell me what flavor it is. All right, no. The answer is no. I've never had Moxie. If you want to ship me a bottle, I'll give it a go. I've been, uh. Your next comment is, I've been grinding Fallout 4 lately, and it reminds me how great that universe is. I definitely forgot. Are you a Fallout fan? Are you excited to play Fallout 5 in between snacks and th- at the nursing home? In between snacks at the nursing home. That's very funny. Uh, I, I love the aesthetic and the tone and the setting of Fallout so much. When Fallout 3 was announced in the 360 days, I remember being like, I've never played a game like this. I want to play this game. And then when I finally started playing Fallout, it didn't do it for me. I almost beat Fallout 4. I got very far into Fallout 4. And I enjoyed it. But the weirdest thing in the world for me is I, I I always thought I would love Fallout. And I wouldn't give a shit about Skyrim or Elder Scrolls. But it ended up going the other way around. Skyrim is the only Bethesda Game Studios game that's ever stuck with me. That I've ever been like, oh, this is a good game. All the Fallouts, I played a little bit of three multiple times. I played four almost to completion. And I've never really given New Vegas a fair shake, so I won't say anything to that. But I, I want to go back and try Fallout now that now that I have an affinity for Skyrim. I want to go back and try Fallout again. But no, Fallout just, I, I want to love it. I love the way that universe looks, but it just never does it for me. I think it's because the, the first-person combat is ass. And in Skyrim, you don't have to worry about that because there are no guns. But I, I don't know, man. Just, I just... I want to love Fallout. I'm waiting for a Fallout to make me love it. But yeah, Fallout 5 coming in 2047. We'll, we'll play it then. Next up, you said, I'm excited for four sec- the four-second boot on my Xbox. I like that Microsoft keeps working on quality of life upgrades. Me too. For the Xbox ecosystem, it really puts a huge r- role in me switching from my main console being PlayStation to Xbox. What are your favorite features? Is there a feature you really wanna see implemented on the Xbox that isn't there yet? Um, dude, no. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not a features guy. This is I actually say this quite often about myself. I don't know how I ended up being such like a Microsoft guy, like with Xbox and Windows and all that, because in every corner of Microsoft's products and their branding, they they cater more than anyone to power users. You know, PlayStation's like, eh, whatever. We got you know, we're we're always playing catch up on features, but we got games. And you know, like iPhones, like, oh yeah, we can't do nearly as much as like as like what Windows Phone can do or whatever. But you, it, it's pretty and everyone likes it. And you know, Mac OS and all this shit is just like, yeah, it doesn't. It's not nearly as capable as Windows, but it's it's fluid and fast and sexy looking. And yet, I'm still always drawn to Microsoft's bullshit despite the fact that I don't really care about having the most powerful console in the world and I don't really care about using an operating system that's like really awesome for developers and and shit like that because it's like all I do is like browse the internet and play fucking Sonic Unleashed like I don't I don't I don't know so I actually always find it weird because I'm 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 always curious to try new features and stuff like that but when like i as a huge fan of consumer tech like i'm very i'm always like on the on the pulse of like smartphones i'm really into phones in particular but you know i'm always keeping up with like computers and video game hardware and all that stuff as someone who's always into that stuff, I've noticed I don't care about that sh- that shit all that much. I- I'm usually more of an aesthetics person, so like on phones, I'm always excited because I'm like, hmm, how can I get this Android phone to look like a Windows phone from 2012? You know, like that's that's my thing. Rather than being like, oh, what awesome new features can I experience and learn that will make using this phone so much you know so much easier, better. So I have that issue with Xbox where I have zero idea of like what features I want for Xbox. I just know sometimes cool features come out that I would have never requested or thought of. And I'm like, cool, that's nice. I like that, (laughs) you know? Like back in the old days, my only requirements for Xbox is like, can I play my music in the background, which Xbox 360 did wonderfully, and now Xbox One and Series X do with Spotify, of course. Uh, Yes, and achievements. I love achievements. I I always want uh, features to improve the achievement system. I hope by all means that Xbox never tries to compete with... Uh, PlayStation's trophy system by trying to, like, give you a level or, like, RPGing the meta game of it a little bit because I, I love the simplicity of achievements. Don't get me wrong. I think what PlayStation does with trophies is extremely cool. I love how, like, granular and, like, how how much there is to track. It's like, well, how many bronze trophies do you have? Because if you have a if you have a high level but you're mostly relying on like bronze and silver trophies, it's not as impressive as like being a guy with a bunch of gold and platinum trophies and all these things. Like I, I love that about the PlayStation ecosystem. It's very like modern gaming in a way. But I love that the achievement system on Xbox is like it's straightforward. It's just like you get achievements, you get gamer score. Your gamer score adds to your total gamer score number. It's like an arcade machine. It's like, here's your high score. You know, it's like, this is my my gaming career put into a number, an arbitrary number. That just means I played enough games to accumulate this score, and I love that. So any features that bring achievements to the forefront and just enhance the achievement hunting experience, like when they introduced the feature to like, leave like track achievements and you can like keep an achievement on your screen while you're playing a game so you can track your progress like that stuff is the stuff that's like whoa this is like this is game changing i love this but they like otherwise to me it's just like oh that's oh that's nice my console's a little faster or my console's a little smoother or like now strangely xbox 360 games run at 60 fps because why not like that stuff i i love and appreciate it but for the most part I'm, ha- I'm happy with the <laughs> with the Xbox the way it is. Um, I-, I guess I-, I do wish they would do kind of like what PlayStation 3 and 4 used to do in like sell live background themes because you know Series X and S have those live backgrounds you can do. And they got a couple cool ones, but I really wish like they would do like what PlayStation used to do. I guess PS5 apparently doesn't do this anymore, but where like a developer can sell you a live background. Like if I could buy the Sonic Frontiers live background theme, or, that, or, or you know it would be even cooler, actually, better than buying it? That's a cool thing you can do to achievements to kind of incentivize people to play more. Because you know how when you unlock an achievement, you can um, use the achievement picture as your background. You can set it as your background picture on your Xbox dashboard. And if you didn't know that, well, that's a feature. You can do that. I think it'd be so cool if there was the ability or or if, like, what happened every time you 100% a game is, like, you get a reward. Kind of like back in the 360 days when they used to give you, like, avatar rewards for games. Um, but like every game has a live theme, and if you hundred percent the game, you unlock the live theme. So like you get Sonic Frontiers, you get all fifty achievements, all one thousand gamer score. Boom, you unlock the live theme for Sonic Frontiers. It goes to your dash, or it goes to your settings, and you can set it as your background for your dashboard. That would be so cool. Uh, I-, I would love something like that. Just some kind of like little incentive, like something you unlock personally. It doesn't have to be something necessarily that you can show off to others on your profile, but something you can do to customize your, your console. I feel like that'd be cool. Those are the kinds of things Xbox 360 did well. It had a lot of like additional shit you can unlock and earn. Bring back one versus 100. Let me win some some Microsoft points. All right. Uh, yeah, I guess I did have some stuff to say to that. Thanks. Good, good comment, Temple Knight. And your last bit, you said, Jesse, what's your favorite item in a poo-poo platter? How about least favorite? You know what? I've never had a poo-poo platter. Um, I, I actually only recently I actually only learned what a poo-poo platter was like a, a, a few years ago, uh, when I uh, when I when I worked in a Japanese restaurant, people would um, people would sometimes be like, "Oh, do you guys do poo-poo platters?" I'm like, "I'm pretty sure it's Chinese food, dude." And the you know, because we'd be like fucking like sushi and yakitori and ramen and shit, and people would be like, "Yeah, I'll take a I'll take some crab rangoon or a, a poo-poo platter." I'm like, "Ah, you maybe like read a book or something, man." Uh, anyway, I don't know. Looking at a picture of a poo-poo platter, it looks like a lot of them tend to have. Uh, like char sui pork and like crab rangoon and um, some kind of fried chicken, maybe some egg rolls. I don't know, man. Just looking at some of the reoccurring images I'm seeing, I, I put rangoon at the at the bottom and I put pork char sui or egg rolls at the top. But uh, good comments. Thank you for writing in, Temple Knight. You got like that 25 minutes of fame and then rounding out our last comment of the week guys, Mr. Head hunting Halo. I always like to put him at the end because his, uh, his comments are fucking doozies and they're zingers and we love him and we love him because if, if we could, if we could hold him in real life, we'd give him a kiss on the, uh, on the top of his, what I can only assume is a bald scalp. He says, I'm going to give Xbox all the credit. It's amazing what they've been doing partner with Samsung discord game pass, bought all those studios. It's quite amazing. What, company, what a company can do. By the way, chicken tacos are amazing. Like what? Been hitting backlog again. Got five games to go. Get caught up working on Devil May Cry HD Collection. Xbox is always banging out services and features. Huge props to Microsoft. Headhunting Halo. Glad to see the positivity. Also, let us know what some of those backlog games you're working on is. And also, yes, those chicken tacos at Taco Bell, they are amazing. Like what? Concur 100%. Thank you for writing in. And thank you for all of you for writing in, for listening, just supporting the show. If you've ever left a review in the past, or maybe today you want to be lucky day, leave a little five star review. If you're an iTunes user, if you're an iPhone user, you go to iTunes, you leave five stars. I don't give a shit if you can justify the five stars or not. Just say great show, or just say tiny penis, good fun. Whatever you want to say, five stars. That's all I'm asking. Spotify, iTunes, Subscribe on YouTube, Xbox On Podcast. On Monday nights, we do Twitch streams at Xbox On Podcast. Nope, nope, nope. On Twitch, I'm called Lightning Extreme. I got to get that right. I should probably make another YouTube video at some point in time. That'd be fun to do again. Uh, guys, that's that's it for our show. As always, I just want to thank you. Um, and then, you know, do your thing. Have a good weekend. Enjoy some good video games. Take care of yourselves. Be healthy. Be safe. Spend some time with your loved ones. Until we meet next week, how are your dreams?